Hey everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. Uh, this is the one that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, and this is where you can join us live on YouTube or on Facebook. Uh, we usually do it every Thursday morning at 8 a.m., but this is a little different. As you can tell, it's quite different because I'm not sitting in my normal spot. There is one more <laughs> joining us today. Uh, we have a special guest with us. Well, I'm going to do a quick intro on you so then people don't just think they're hearing a random voice. Uh, <laughs> uh, Justin Thomas. You're an athlete uh, that's covered a whole lot of disciplines within cycling, I guess, and triathlon and, and mountain biking and cyclocross is just what we're going to talk about today because cross season's here. Um, but uh, we're excited to have you on. We had we did a, a video, we released a video recently all about your quest for a national championship last year. Um, it's pretty great stuff, man. Uh, way to go. Thanks. Yeah, Thanks. yeah. It's fun to be here. It's fun to kind of revisit some of that which seems like a distant memory now, but, but <laughs> yeah. I'm excited. No doubt. I'm going to have you come in closer to the microphone so then we can get some some really good high-quality audio. Um, Nate's signaling right there, the distance uh, one should maintain. Uh, so if we're going to go uh, into your story and a bunch of stuff and kind of dig into cross because we really haven't dug that deep into cross yet, and a lot of people have been asking for it. So we'll, we'll, we'll get into that and specifically what you've done uh, throughout your training. But uh, first things first, a few a few items to take care of. First of all, congrats to a friend of the podcast, Payson McKelvin. He won single speed world champs, and he did it in a Trek skiing speed suit from like the 90s. So like pretty <laughs> impressive. Um, uh, but yeah, so uh, good job to Payson. Uh, way to go for that one. And then I, we have a whole lot of things to cover from Kona really quick, whether it's from the athletes that we interviewed or our personal takeaways from putting together kind of like a mini training block for all of us. And Nate's very excited. Should we go into the athletes or our individual takeaways first? As always with us, our head coach, Coach Chad Timmerman. <laughs> Forgive me, yes. Hi, everybody. <laughs> and our CEO, Nate Pearson. Hello. Forgive me. Here they are. We're so excited because Justin's here. I know, right? Um, so I'm just saying that because people might not know who we course, are. First-time listeners. First-time listeners. Yep. And it happens all the time. Uh, okay, so uh, Kona takeaways. Uh, first thing, we should probably just review the performances of the of the interviewees that we had, the athletes, last week. Uh, first one was Tony Weeks, and you can listen to that. You can look up Tony Weeks. You can find it on forum.trainerroad.com. We have a whole post on there. Um, you can look it up on a, a number of different spots. But uh, Tony's swim was 103.23. Uh, his bike was 451.17, and for details on that, that's 154 watts average, 168 normalized. That is crazy low. Yeah, 0.55 IF. For a sub-five split. Yep. Yeah. 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 All of these people, too, Very, they're smaller guys. They're not like Chad and I. Yeah, they're arrow. Tony was probably the biggest one, I would say, in terms of like a build. You yeah, know. probably, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. If we did watch like that, we'd be out there for eight hours. <laughs> Tony, <laughs> <Yeah>. Long day. <laughs> yeah. Tony, the bikes were also all dialed. Um, yeah. yeah, bikes were very well dialed yeah. in. Um, and then uh, the, the theme of the day was the fact that you didn't have the typical really brutal winds that you have on that course. Have you ever ridden Kona? I know you've ridden in Maui for Xterra, but... I haven't ridden it. I've been there a few times to watch. Yeah. And, uh, it's it's work and watching the race. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I'm I'm sorry. I looked this. I was looking stuff up. Did we mention about his 
what it used to sure. be. Sure. Yeah, yeah, All right. Yeah. So Justin's gotten third place at Xterra Worlds as a professional. Pro. Yeah. yeah. So a, that's what we ask him. He's not <laughs> like, not just his cyclocross, but he's got a little bit of triathlon experience too. A ton. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's like uh, those wins that hit you. And I experienced it. I actually stayed a week after and we were in Waikolo, which is like basically halfway down the bike course. And it's an out and back. So it's halfway down the out or the back, however you look at it. And uh, I experienced those shifting wins every day. Uh, because by the time I was training, I would get out there and experience that shift. And man, it's substantial. I can't decide which of the two evils is more impactful though, because even though it was a calm day and you think, great, that's a fast bike. The run was so brutally oh, windless. I don't know how people weren't falling apart. It was so hot. Like we went down to cheer our, cheer our athletes on at basically the turnaround on Elite E-Drive. And, <laughs> and just watching, I felt like such a wuss, but it was so hot. That was a little cove though. Uh -huh. like yeah, we like zero it. air circulation. Yeah. Okay. And that's what the runners get to experience a lot on Elite E-Drive. It's not just like, you know, coastal breeze coming in. Yeah. Like you go through those little spots of their houses or coves, it's hot. Uh, so Tony's run was 352.35 for an overall time of 955.06, which is fast at any Ironman, let alone Kona. Huh. At Kona, they got him 81st in his age group. Isn't that crazy? A 955. That's, that's a world champion. Yeah. World championship. Yeah. Yep. Uh, David Nichols, uh, he was our second podcast guest that we had. He did 102.26 for his swim, a 456.06 for the bike, and that was at 173 watts average, 186 watts normalized, so 0.61 IF. And then a run of 322.26, a fast run there. That's really mm -hmm. fast. Um, then his, his overall time was 927.56, which is crazy fast. And that was 86th in his age group, which he was one age younger. group younger. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, Wes Thompson, there's a story on this one. Uh, 105.26, he was the Aussie who was number th the third podcast guest. 504.17 bike, and he did that. This is rough. Uh, we don't really know exactly the power data because his power meter went nuts. Uh, but 177 for average 187 normalized is what he was maintaining until the power meter went crazy. That's about 0.69 IF. So it might be a little inflated because you can see when his power meter went out of calibration because his power meter mm. claims that he did 0.93 for five hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> and he said that he actually took in like uh, his plan was to use caffeine um, strategically throughout the race. And he started, he took in some caffeine and after he took in some caffeine, his power meter went out of calibration. <laughs> so he's like riding and suddenly he's doing like 500 Watts and he's like, wow, this is incredible. <laughs> so he said that kind of threw him for a loop. Um, to the, so Tony, he was the fat adapted athlete. Yes, he was. Because that's kind of easier to remember the names. That was the first guy. Uh -huh. so, uh, David was the guy who lived in Russia. Yep. And he was, he's also the British, right? Uh -huh. And yep. he liked, uh, he was carbs and yeah yeah lots of fruit first time going through kona and west was the aussie yep a uh, surfer guy growing up motocross background yep. um, but plenty of experience in triathlon so his bike was 50417 but his run was 52557 which for a normal iron it's not uncommon to see people doing that sort of a run even like at a normal ironman but when you're as fast as wes it's very abnormal yeah he actually, when he was treading water, apparently they had, um, if you've ever seen the swim start in Kona, and I don't know if they have this in Xterra too. I don't know if you run into the water with Xterra all the time or start treading. It's usually right there on the shoreline. So we're, you know, 
ankle to, to knee deep there. Standard. Okay. Yeah. So they were treading, uh, which is common in Kona. You know, you, you right. sit there and get you out tread, there in the water, wait for a while. And he said that it, they were so packed in like sardines. He said that it was like UFC in there. He said it was just like getting elbowed and kicked and kneed like crazy. And he actually said, and I even saw like on one of the athletes that we were talking to there after just bruises on his legs the next day, because it was like, there was a lot, there was a lot of egg beaters going sure. on in there. And he got kicked extremely hard in the calf, just at the perfect spot, or I guess perfectly wrong spot right. at the wrong time. And he said it really hurt. And he said it was a little tender on the bike. And then partway through his run, just snap and he tore a gastruct. So the calf muscle just snapped on him and completely tore. He still finished. Still finished. And he said he just kind of like kept the leg ex like in the same exact position, just kind of hobbled his way all the way in. For 11 more miles, right? Yeah, because I think that it blew at, uh, I think he was about 20K into the run. So yeah, halfway through about. Pretty rough, man. That's, That's oh, interesting. Yeah. He was able to get through the bike with seemingly no mm -hmm. real issues. He said that it, it just... was tender. Okay. And then once he got on the run, he said it was getting more and more tender than just snap. Then it wow. let go on the run. Mm -hmm. So pretty brutal. I would have quit. <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good excuse. Probably in the swim. You guys are too aggressive. <laughs> See you guys later. <laughs> Lay on the beach. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so he had an overall time of 1141.53, uh, 232nd in his age group. Way to stick it out, Wes. Uh, the last podcast guest that we had was Michael Stanick. Uh, he was the one that I even I saw somebody comment like, "This guy seems young and naive." I remember somebody saying that because I, I one of the comments that he said like in the podcast, he's like, "Yeah, man, I mean, it's just going to be a bike ride. Like, victory I'm just going to go for it. It's a victory lap, right?" Uh, but he crushed it. Uh, we saw him on the run. He looked like so cheery and happy. Um, uh, in his words, I think that he said that he was. Uh, yeah, he said that he was like kissing hands and shaking babies. He said he mixed it up on purpose um, the whole way through the run. So uh, his swim was 101.41. His bike was 448.32, and that was 186 watts average, 196 watts normalized, so 0.68 IF. If you look at it, all the difference between average and normalized is really consistent across the board with a lot of these athletes. Like it's not like a huge difference. And with the wind that they usually have here, it can be pretty different. Hmm. Um, so you can you can see there, that's another evidence of it. 340.57 was his run, overall time of 938.14, and that got him 108th in his age group. And he's also the guy who uh, did the backflip over Slater. Yes, over Slater from Saved by the Bell, Mario Lopez. So yeah, yeah. qualified physician. Yeah, yeah, ER doctor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that guy. Exactly right. The resident. Going through residency and qualifying. Man, 938 gets you 108. Isn't that, isn't that crazy. at Kona? Yeah. Oh. A lot of times that would make you win your age group. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One of the, yeah. Yeah. And in All those very conditions, respectable times. in those conditions, it'd just be so hard. Uh, Emmett Kelly, if you remember from the previous year, we had Emmett Kelly on our podcast, uh, Irish athlete. He swam 104.38. His bike was 511.58. He had 179 watts uh, for average, 193 watts for normalized, 0.64 IF. Uh, his run was fast, 3.20.10, uh, so that's really quick. And his overall time was 9.44.33, so he got 119th in his age group. And then uh, one other trainer road user that reached out to us, uh, Rob Arkel. Sorry we couldn't have you on the podcast, Rob. Uh, you you crushed it. You swam 103.24. Your bike was 438.47, so that's a average power of 195 watts, normalized power of 209, and it's a 0.69 IF, so that's, that's you know a little higher. And then his run was still 320.18. So he got 910.49 for his overall time. And he was still 39th in his age group. 
for all, you know, getting close to breaking nine hours at Kona. Screaming bike split. And he did, what do you say, 95% of his training indoors? Yeah, yeah, yeah ton of it. So uh, it's pretty cool stuff to see. And then there's so many other trainer road users that uh, we got to meet while we were there or we didn't get to meet uh, just because, you know, we can't be everywhere all at the same time. But uh, great job to all of you guys. That is, like you said, Justin, just watching is hard work. Yeah. Like, <laughs> it is hard. It's another level. <laughs> yeah. It's so rough. Kudos to all those athletes. Mm -hmm. Yep. Uh, so we put together like a mini training block of sorts. In other words, like, uh, it was just every day we rode a, a decent amount. Mm -hmm. Um, it was fun to have trainer road users join us. Thanks for doing that. Yeah. It was pretty cool. Right. It um, was very, very motivating. Yeah. Yeah. Every the rise interesting. It did. Yeah. Um, not that, that, not that the terrain wouldn't have and your yeah. company, of course, so it was fun to have the, have all of you join us though. Uh, we'll probably be doing something similar to this, just training every morning, uh, next year when we do this. Um, so, but we'll obviously have more information on that, but we learned a few things that we wanted to share. Uh, Nate, first thing you were talking about reconning route cause you were going up unfamiliar climbs. Yeah. We had a few, it was like kind of easy, the whole Mm -hmm. Not always, but that's what we rode with, but <laughs> we wanted to get more aerobic stuff. And then we had a few sections where we wanted to just kind of test ourselves at sea level, go all out. We said, okay, everyone go as hard as you can. And I, I have this problem where you'll say, oh yeah, it's this many miles. And that doesn't relate to time to me. I know all of my, like how hard I can go for time. Mm -hmm. So like one of them, I thought it was going to be a 10 minute climb. It was a 44 minute climb. Coloco drive, the yeah. really steep one. With yeah. walking stretches. Yeah. yeah. I walked. So we're a brutally steep climb. <laughs> oh God. Most people yeah. wouldn't. I only walked because I went so hard at the beginning. Of that. Um, <laughs> I saw Nate riding I'm with the guy. Tire was slipping. That, That's yeah. why I walked. Like yeah. it slipped out. Nate was riding with the guy that weighed 120 pounds <laughs> going up a steep grade. And I was like, this isn't going to last. <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought it was going to last for 10 yeah. minutes. So yeah, I was yeah, like, I can yeah, do this. Yeah. So just, uh, on, and we had another one like that too, where I, it was the opposite. I thought it was going to be a lot longer than it was mm -hmm. probably because I felt the other one. Mm -hmm. So just look on Strava and it would have been really easy to, I knew where we were going to be and I could see the, the top times. I'm usually like 20% less than the top times for mm -hmm. time or 20% more. Mm -hmm. So just do that before you go. And then I could have really tried to get a maximal effort and see what kind of power numbers I could do at sea level. Mm-hmm. Uh, another thing, uh, you and I, and I think, I don't know if you all, <laughs> Chad's tire situation's got a funny in itself. <laughs> Chad um, got, uh, Chad, his tubeless tires deceded on the flight yeah. and, uh, the bike shops were all slammed. He went to Walmart and got like the slime. It was tubes. like 10 o'clock at night too. Yeah. So our flights got rerouted and we got in much later than anticipated. Yeah. So I'll cut to the chase. Moral of the story is be prepared. And I was not prepared. My <laughs> tires had unseated. I was counting on hitting a bike shop, couldn't hit a bike shop. So I had to make a late night trip to Walmart. Walmart's bike parts selection is uh, limited. Impressive. To put it Impressive. nicely. <laughs> up, up fast. Yeah. Best. Yeah. So I had to do, I had to use slime tubes. That was the only thing that had a valve sim long enough to get through my slightly deep section wheels. Yeah. And the things had to weigh two pounds each. But I got to tell you, they were so packed with slime that I aired them up the first day. I didn't need to touch them for the entire <laughs> other five days. I mean, those things do not seep at all. It's basically just like a rubber core. That's basically what you were riding on. Yeah. Yeah, no flats either. Yeah, there we go. And uh, you did get a flat um, and tubeless wouldn't seal it. Uh, tries it might. Even, last even day, last couple it. miles. I know, right? Yeah. But you and I were running lower pressure in Schwalbe Pro 1's, uh, their tubeless tire. And we were both running, you were running CLX 32's, Roval's, and I was running uh, Roval CLX 50's. Yep. So slightly wide internal width. I think they're what, 19. 19's? Yep. Uh, and I was running 70 PSI in the front and then like 75 PSI in the rear, which is a lot lower than most people run for road, road, bike, yeah. road bike. So I had 25's 
25 millimeter front tire, 28 in the rear. And I had 28s front and rear. Yep. So I had uh, on the 25 in front, I did 80 and in the rear I had 70, which seems just crazy like I'm going to die. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, you look on the tire and it has the list. And then I looked on Envy's website for like recommended PSIs. We talked to the flow guys about recommended PSIs. Everyone's going lower. And uh, Pete Morris here too. The That's actually where I first saw it, riding with the uh, Cliff Bar team. They all ride very low. Mm-hmm. And they say it feels... It feels slower, but it's not. And uh, the Flow guys, we saw a presentation from them. It was Stack Zero and Ventum. Mm-hmm. And I forget the name of the actual like phenomenon. the ment- yeah, f- mental phenomenon. But the, the analogy they gave was, you know, if you're in like a really nice car going fast, everything's smooth and it feels like it's going slow. Like a Lexus or something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then you're in like a... Uh, a Porsche 911. Yeah. Well, oh, let's say you're in like a... I had a Dodge Shadow, which is a two-door death trap. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, the, where, like, the seatbelt was connected to the door. So yeah, if the door yeah. opens, you're gone. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You're going really fast on that. It's, like, and vibrating. Shimmies. Yep. Yeah. And you feel like you're going very fast and you're scared. Mm-hmm. The same kind of idea is if it's a smoother ride, it feels like you're going slower. Perception of speed. Yep. Yeah. And even descending, yeah. part of that segues into a, another thing we're going to talk about, but lower pressure, I felt much more confident descending and it just, it's, it's nicer in your body too. Maybe we did lose a watt or two. There's a sweet spot. Like if you go too high, mm-hmm. there's a lot, it's, it's higher rolling resistance. And if you go too low, it's roller, lower rolling resistance. There's a spot in there that's perfect, but it's really hard to tell what that is. Yeah. In my mind, complex. having a little bit lower and having better cornering, more comfortable and like more confidence and faster descending is worth that water to, mm-hmm. to try to find that. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's that you can feel and you know where the other one you're kind of guessing unless you have like a an asphalt roller. Like yeah, because you were you descending really well. In fact, there was one point where we were going down a descent and we weren't going at like breakneck speed or anything. Like it wasn't like we were, you know, pinning it as fast as we could. But I saw a trainer road kick kind of out of my peripheral vision in a turn and I figured, oh, Chad's right, right there. And then it was Nate. And you were holding surprise, 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 surprise. And it just shows though, that when you have your bike set up properly, but also you have a bike that handles well, we we got the new, Justin, we'll talk with you sometime. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for good. (laughs) Justin, just listening. (laughs) I swear he's here for a reason. Um, I, the, we have the new S works Venge and I had the old S works Venge Vias. And before that I had a, another Venge arrow stuff. And then before that I had a, a Mozzie. (laughs) <laughs> which was like my first bike. Yeah. Um, but the Venge Vias, it descends so much better than the, no, sorry. No, the new Venge. The new Venge yeah. descends so much better <laughs> than the Venge Vias, so the bike we just got. And a testament to bike setup is Chad. Um, we had some last minute bike things with you and you brought a, a cross bike, mm-hmm. specialized crux, one One generation ago. old. Yep. yep. And usually Chad destroys me on all downhills. And this time- it, it slowed you down, right? Yeah, it wasn't. <clears throat> I can't exactly blame the bike because I haven't been on the bike that much. So it was part the equipment and part the, the rider. I didn't, my confidence certainly wasn't up. The roads were damp, so I was playing it cautiously, but the bike didn't inspire confidence. It didn't feel like I could lean into a turn and expect it to do what I wanted it to do. And it, to be fair, it's a cross bike. It's not meant to go 50 yeah. or 60 miles an hour or 40 or 50 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's certainly not meant to go, you know, 40 miles an hour into a fast downhill turn. Yeah, I I can I can add to that because I've noticed the same thing. I've even ridden the Crux one time in a crit and it was not a good bike for that. Yeah. Right? It's it's a good bike. You know it when you feel cross. it. The more you ride bikes yeah. and, and switch between different disciplines, you get that right bike under you for that right discipline, you know it right away. Who, this Justin, is the bike I want to ride. 
I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's the difference between a cross bike and like a road bike? Yeah, the geometry is a little bit more relaxed on the cross bike. It's usually a little bit more upright. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually there's a, some compliance built into the seat stays mm-hmm. and the chain stays. So there's a little bit of flex there. Um, you know, to, to continue with this topic, I've been running lower pressures on my 28 millimeter Contis the last few weeks on my long rides on the weekend. And, you know, that that mentality of running 90 to 100 PSI is just... It's a hard one to break. It's, yeah. And, and now I'm down to, I, I've been running about 60 PSI and I'm fairly lightweight. So I was like, well, let's see what 50 feels like for a couple hours. And it felt great. Yeah. I didn't feel like there was a lot of squirm or deflection in my tires over a couple hours. And uh, I'll probably keep my PSI down there. I just felt like it was really comfortable, like you guys are yeah. pointing out. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, it makes a huge difference. I mean, you have like, like a, a bike's handling matters. Like it really does. Like a bike's ability to, to whether the geometry is dialed, the flex characteristics, all that stuff, make a bike handle it because it levels Nate up. And then in this case, the opposite, just because Chad was putting the, you know, the wrong <coughs> bowl in the wrong, wrong arena, right? Mm-hmm. It was just... It was the opposite. It takes a very capable descender yeah. and makes them less. It's a bit. It's, less the geometry is a bit scrunched up too. It was really mm-hmm. hard for me to get low to, to where you, I felt. You low. did have a dropper post though. Yeah, I gotta say, the dropper <laughs> post is a revelation. And I, I'm as contradictory as it sounds. I mean, this is a total 180. Nate suggested dropper posts on road bikes way back, and of course, I poked much fun, <laughs> as in most things. <laughs> and now let's see what you're gonna say now. I, I'm I gonna think, like cut all these podcasts. <laughs> if someone could do that, where I have to say something and Chad poops it, and then later on he gets on the bandwagon. I, I think there's a strong case for it now. Yeah. On descents, especially, I, I didn't really use it in turns. Again, I wasn't that confident on the bike, but I think I would use it in turns on on a road bike. And in the case of road bikes now that have to make weight minimums, where you have you know a fifteen pound minimum, you got a fourteen and a half pound bike. Why not put a dropper on there? Because all these guys, you know, get off the nose of the saddle and they ride the top tube for that for that super tuck position. And and while it may be a faster position, it's a more dangerous one, especially depending on how your bike fits your body, how hard it is for you to mm-hmm. get over the saddle and get onto that top tube, and then more importantly, back out of that position mm-hmm. at speed usually. In the dropper post puts you in virtually that same position, but gives you 90% of the control you would have yeah. seated in the, in the high, well, probably more of the control actually. Yeah. And you yeah. can pedal, yes. It's, so it, you've coming around mountain bikes, right? Right. Mm-hmm. It yeah. It's yep. a game changer. Yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Most bike. it's imperative. Yeah. Most current mountain bikes probably have one or probably should have one. Yeah. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So it's, uh, I, I think experimenting with it, seeing what you like and seeing if you enjoy that process of getting that post out of the way and <laughs> being able to control things a little bit better. So it's quite nice. What happens, it's just, you have a lower center of gravity and there's some road dropper posts, but they only drop a teeny bit. There's some gravel ones that do that. Yeah. That's what why. Better? Like, <laughs> it should no be point. all the way down. And racers, you can actually descend faster, as Chad said. Like, you can, in, in the tour, it happened with Chris Froome where he attacked. Mm-hmm. Um, you could get down so arrow and pedal and not have to do the weird Froome thing. And you're not compromised. Not like, compromised at all. Yep. Uh, you can totally. And getting out of position is just a matter of hitting the lever and popping right back up. Yeah. You don't have to slip forward and over the nose of the saddle. A thing people don't realize is is a bike is designed to have the rider's mass centered over a certain point of that bike, right? 
So when you go over and I really get scared when I see people not do the top tube tuck, but like where they put their shoulders over the fronts of the bars, you know, you're shifting that center of mass so far forward. The bike is, has never been designed to handle that way. So, and, and you can get away with it with the top tube tuck because you can kind of tuck your, your, you know, you can tuck your butt like back, back closer in, yeah. to that seat post. And you catch so it's not it. as you're far pinned by the saddle. It's exactly. such a precarious position to be in. And if you ride do it, yeah. If you ride something like a Cannondale, uh, like a, I have a CAD 12, the seat tube is so, or I should say the top tube is so high that like, mm -hmm. I can't actually fit because there's not much seat post showing. So there's, I can't actually fit between yeah. the two. So then you're really con It's tricky. So I do think that, yeah, th there's a spot for it. Um, uh, rapid fire through Rap let's rapid fire. Yep. Uh, you can do a lot of sweet spot and feel okay. Cause we are all doing uh, sweet spotish stuff, if not lower. And I was coming from a two month hiatus. Jonathan hasn't been on the Four bike months. working that much. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I had one Same thing of drinking. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And you had one week of drinking. Yeah. And, <laughs> and we did, you know, a heck of a lot of riding, but it was, you know, they were like two and a half to three and a half hour rides about all they were it, for me, especially, cause I didn't even do the harder stuff. These guys did was sweet spot work and day after day after day, I felt like I could do another day of it, another mm -hmm. day of it, another day of it. That's fine. Yeah. You can tally up quite a lot of it. Insulated bottles. Rock. <laughs> yes. We use the specialized <laughs> ones, but they are awesome. In I Hawaii. Did, I yeah. had ice like an hour into my ride. I didn't have them. Uh, and I basically just quit even bothering with ice. Didn't even worry about that because it was going to be not ice within like five seconds. What's unique about those bottles? Are they different than those Camelback that have that kind just of reflective same, sleeve in there? The same, exact same, okay. same, same effect. Um, it's just new to us because we haven't had our trainer road bottles and insulated until recently. No, I've been using, again, this is something I've been using for about 10 years yeah, yeah. and I love them, but then yeah. everyone always, they're not as cool right. as like shorty road ones, right? Yeah, yeah. They are uh, hard, harder to handle. They are. they are. They're bigger. So yeah, I, still tougher, haven't, I still haven't quite figured that out. Tougher to fit in some mountain bike frames mm -hmm. and that's Getting sort of in and out of the cages, a little tougher. heavier for us weight weenies. Yep, yeah. exactly right. But you and get it, cold water. You don't get a whole lot of increased capacity for the size of the bottle because the bladder is bigger. So it's kind of tricky. Okay, um, we're all going to do hydration testing. We tried to do it there. We, uh, we weren't oh, Kona athletes. Oh, yeah, uh, I was so going to do it with Gatorade, but only if you're an athlete. Mm -hmm. So I didn't get to do it. We mentioned that on a previous podcast. Nate, you are an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I don't know. Uh, what they got wrong. <laughs> yeah. As much as people, uh, I got like a lot of comments about like, like the locals being incredible in Hawaii and, and, and for the most part, yes. Like, but when you ride on the roads during Kona week, it's pretty sketchy. Mm. Well, we were on the roads that wasn't the Queen K. Yeah. If you're on the Queen K, it's one thing, but then if you don't ride on those, then the locals aren't particularly happy. You got a lot of fingers. And <laughs> yeah. I don't Close think calls. I'm going to ride on that road again. Yeah. The belt road's pretty scary. The belt road was terrifying. You had a Garmin Varia radar and that was super helpful because it would allow us in certain spots where it was like a country road and you wouldn't have anybody for a while. We'd be able to safely ride, you know, so that we weren't all scrunched into the shoulder and then, you know, safely get into that shoulder when we needed to, when a car was coming up. They're just awesome. Makes things safer. Um, and then I think the last thing is for people to go check out your Strava, Nate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to pitch it again, but it's entertaining this time. So Nate <clears throat> Pearson felt like a pear and then son. Yeah, yeah. And on that, I took a picture of every time Chad took a drink or had a drink of uh, <laughs> a alcohol drink. Yeah, yeah. and just documented it. I managed to sneak a couple in there, though. Did you really? Oh, yeah. Oh, man. He did. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to draw some and take a picture of it and, and add it back. <laughs> we'll stick figures? Yeah, uh, yeah drinking. Uh, we both thought this was, was ridiculously lame, but then the amount of people that like loved it on Strava made us feel like, you okay, guys just have to this. listen to me more often because obviously uh, I've, I know what I'm doing. Let's get into Justin. Okay. Um, okay. So uh, if, if people haven't seen, uh, they can go onto our YouTube channel and you can check out the recent piece that we did um, on your attempt for nationals. But 
that that's a cyclocross deal. Let's start way before then. Um, you, we talked about Xterra briefly too, but how did you start out with sport? Like, were you an act? I mean, what did you do when you were a kid? Was it soccer and that sort of stuff or? Yeah, it, w- it was typical adolescent sports, soccer, baseball, basketball, no endurance type sports. I, I, I grew up in a military family, so we moved a lot. So it was, you know, figuring out what the local sports are, wherever we were moving every two years. I think I moved five times by the time I was 10. So, um, you know, couldn't get really ingrained in any community sports scene. But, you know, we, we did what we could. Mm-hmm. You know, my sister, my dad was usually uh, away from the household during those years. So, but once, uh, once we finally settled down in, uh, Virginia, which is where I spent most of my, you know, youth, um, played soccer. And then slowly my sister, uh, did cross country and cross high country sp- running, cross country running mm-hmm. and sort of introduced the sport to me. Mm. And, uh, you know, I had, I, I played high school soccer and, and, you know, I, I was okay. Yeah. Nothing special. Um, but I was a lot better running. <laughs> the you know the coaches like probably a lot of coaches go scout out some of the other teams to figure out if there's any potential athletes there that maybe aren't playing as much or aren't enjoying that other sport and and sort of recruit them and that's kind of how I got introduced to my high school's you know running program huh. and uh, kind of took off from there. So what was your first mile that you ever run? Do you know your time that you remember? Yeah. Oh geez. Probably somewhere in the in the sixes. Yeah. So this is that's insane to me. Cause I I have this feeling that you just line kids up, have them run a mile, and just say you should never do endurance. Mine I didn't. It was, mine was like fourteen minutes or something. Like, like I, I remember I ran to the the first fence and you had to do two laps. And the first fence was probably a hundred yards in, and then I started walking. And then your first was like seven thirty. Um, when or I was seven. a kid, yeah. yeah, I think it, yeah, it was, it was in the sixes, seven, yeah, something yeah, like that. Yeah, that Chad? I have no idea. It, it wasn't, it wasn't impressive. It wasn't that. something like in the sixes. I remember there's like one kid in school who would do that. Yeah. When mm-hmm. you ask that question, I'm thinking high school. Yeah. I'm thinking oh. beyond like the presidential fitness test yeah. that yeah. a I lot of us had to go through. Test. Heck yeah. uh, so I'm thinking, you know, there, there was some level of, of running and fitness involved with doing somewhere in the sixes when yeah. I say that. It's yeah. still good. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> high school was, was band camp. So, <laughs> uh, so it, from running, did you go into college as a runner then? Was yeah. The, okay. Yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I looked at a lot of Virginia colleges and, uh, had some recruiting trips there and ran at uh, College of William and Mary, which is a Division One, uh, pretty competitive running program, mm-hmm. both on cross country and track and field. You know they're known for their distance program. So, what distance did you specialize in? Uh, mile and half mile. I was okay. pretty much a middle distance runner. Yeah, uh, suited my, you know, just my ability to go hard for a, a, what we like to call a long sprint. Yeah, and um, yeah, I. I did okay at cross country, you know, the years, but I couldn't handle the miles. Uh, Meaning like durability, you're saying? Yeah, yeah. exactly. I mean, I'm I'm pretty slight build and I was getting hurt a lot. Wait. And, and I actually got, <laughs> got hurt in high school too. I got my first stress fracture when I was a senior, mm. right around the time where the championship races were occurring. And that was sort of my first foray into the injury scene. And, and uh, that was... You know, that was difficult to, to stomach as a high schooler and, yeah, and be right tough. there getting ready for the regionals and districts. And get, they, they called it back then uh, Kinney, which is now Foot Locker, okay. you know, regional oh, yeah. races. Yeah, yeah. You might have seen those on TV. Yeah. And uh, to just kind of have everything fall apart right when things were getting, you know, 
competitive was tough. Yeah. Nevertheless, I had a good high school uh, running career and, and got you know recruited. No no big scholarships or anything like that, but yeah. uh, was able to to run for a pretty competitive program at, at William and Mary. When you say you're you're pretty, would you say pretty slight, slight. pretty slight build? Yeah. Okay. Did you guys know anyone who's leaner than Justin? <laughs> uh, yeah. No, literally no one. Yeah, literally yeah. no one. Yeah. Right? He has like a ten pack. I didn't know the rectus had that many compartments on it. It's, it's ridiculous. So we did a documentary about Justin, and you can see it. It's a different Justin mm-hmm. than last Justin. Yeah. But how? What's the best way <laughs> to find that? Justin Ross. Yeah. I should clarify. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you can check it out on, on YouTube. One thing I want to cover though, really quick, is what is your weight, and have you ever had your body fat tested? Uh, I have. I'm about, you know, ranging between 135. I can maybe get up to 140 in the off season if I if I really work at it. And how do you? You mean just by not training and yeah, by not eating. watching what you eat? One time I got over 140 when I broke my leg. So that's when my wife likes to make fun of me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I, I'm sort of the other end of the spectrum of most people. Uh, you know, I don't have to worry too much about uh, gaining weight. You know, I, I'm okay. trying to gain weight. Yeah. You know, so it's a, it's a, it's a good problem to have. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I, I, I've gone through stints in my career where I worry about trying to gain weight, mm-hmm. not lose weight. We should hang out, Justin. Sure. Do you have yeah. I'll show you some tricks. Yeah. So you're 61 K kilograms. Yeah. And what's your height? About six foot. About six about foot. 183 yeah. centimeters, somewhere in there. Yeah. Yeah. 182. Yeah. 183. So that's that's very very lean, and in the video on YouTube.com/slash/TrainerRoad, mm-hmm. yeah, you can see. Check. I think there's a picture of you with just like you just crashed or something, and it showed some stuff. And it's called the it's called the Road to Cyclocross Nationals. And um, you, the camera gains ten pounds. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've I've always joked that you you like friendly in a very friendly way harbor a tapeworm that you just have, <laughs> have maintained because I've been I've been uh, you know behind you and getting dropped by you in plenty of mountain bike races. So um, yeah, yeah, I've been I've been envious of. I, you have I, no I, tips for us though. On it's that just, note, <laughs> Jim, well, then I'm not very good to draft off. Of. Yeah, it's very you know, true. I'm almost like a sale. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, uh, but but you have an employee here that's probably of similar build. I think Brandon. And I are are very, but well, we're not close. Well, he's just a lot um, shorter than you. He's not six feet tall. No, I mean the lean. We're talking about lean. Here. Yes, yeah, yeah. Brandon's very lean. Yeah, but right. Justin, you're on a different. Planet. But I mean, relative to his height, I don't does he so. weigh about the same as me? Justin, you're the leanest. No, he, yeah, yeah, he probably weighs about the same. Um, yeah, so when did you when did you transition? Then did you transition from running? to ex-terror to like, I, I guess, to mountain biking because of injury? Because that's a common exactly. story. Yep, that's that it. Yeah. I started cross-training in college and uh, introduced to the sport by a teammate of mine. He's like, hey, you know, if you're not able to run, you might as well get on a bike and try mountain biking. And that's what happened. I think my junior year, uh, my mm-hmm. friend Mike said, come out to, you know, the Blue Ridge Hills and try one of these races. And that was my first introduction to mountain biking on a how'd hybrid. You, how'd you do? It wasn't a mountain bike. It was a hybrid, <laughs> Navara REI hybrid <laughs> nice. bike. And uh, it went well. I, you know, I think I entered myself into the sport category, not knowing really where to put myself, but I figured I had decent cardio. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. I, I don't remember my place, you know, honestly, <laughs> but I think I did, did well enough that I enjoyed it and yeah. I didn't crash too much. On a hybrid, was, that's impressive. Yeah, I was like, this is <laughs> this is really fun. This is a lot more fun than running. So did you just start mountain bike racing then, or did you pick up things with like triathlon, with the off-road triathlon with X-Tier? Yeah, I was, I was working at uh, REI in the summers, and I was like, well, I might as well get a, get a bike and do some cross-training, try to get some fitness and not pound myself into the ground with 100-mile 
weeks leading into, the, into my senior year of cross-country season. So I was sort of doing both, mm-hmm. you know, trying to get additional fitness by the cycling side and finish out my collegiate running career. Uh, but knew in the back of my mind that I enjoyed the cycling, both road now. And I bought, you know, like I said, I, I bought a road bike and uh, really enjoyed mountain biking. So after college, yeah, it was uh, – mountain biking pretty much for a couple years. So that was like the late nineties. Okay. And the, you know, obviously the mountain bike scene at that time was just going crazy. Norba you know, a lot times, of big sports, right? yeah. you know, sponsors. It was, it was pretty big. And, um, yeah, I got a coach after college cause I was so used to having a coach yeah. during all my high school years, college years. And I was like, well, I pretty much am used to working with a coach here one-on-one. And he said, Hey, you know, you're, you're, you can obviously run. You have that kind of in your back pocket, and, and you really like doing this mountain bike thing. Why don't we teach you how to swim, and you can do these Xterras? Because he was kind of a cycling triathlon coach. Got it. And Xterra was relatively new on the scene. I think it, think it started, you know, in the mid-'90s. Yeah. You know, there with, with Mike Pig and some of those those yep. stud triathletes coming over and doing the That's off-road right. scene. Yeah. And uh, and that was sort of the start of it in the late, late 90s, early 2000s. I think I did my first Xterra Richmond, which was one of the regional championships. I think it was 98. 98. Yeah. And you, you did really well in that. You, like, progressed pretty quickly. I mean, like we said, third in, in Worlds. Yeah, so. about five years later or so, five, six years later. Yeah, it, it was good. Um, a lot of credit to, to to the coaching from the swimming to, to putting the whole package together. You know, it's one thing to be really strong in each discipline, but to sort of put it together on the same day is, mm-hmm. is another, so, you know, challenge. You don't have nutrition tips for us. Swimming, was it a challenge? Like how do you, because probably a lot of people, they're good at biking and or running. And yeah. That's kind of easy, easier to get good at. And then swimming, how do you do that? If you just say that you just got in and started smashing 100s and 110. No, it was a lot of technique. I mean, my, my coach, I I wrote a paper a few years ago about how, you know, how the, the similarity, similarities of my current career with my triathlon career. And he said, I look like an electrocuted frog at best. (laughs) (laughs) So it was not a pretty sight to begin with. And, and, and I think, uh, a lot of his, uh, coaching or tenants was based on the total immersion Mm-hmm. Um, Meaning principles. That's, that's where you actually, we're not talking like a immersion language learning, but we're actually talking about emerging. Or immer, immer, yeah, yeah. It's a, a full immersion of your yeah. body. Yeah. Well, being long, being level, being smooth, you know, very, mm-hmm. very technique. I obviously didn't grow up swimming. Uh, so it was trying to figure out the technique side and then add a little speed to it just to minimize the losses, mm-hmm. right? I didn't expect to be in the lead pack or anywhere near that. And I was able to do that. Not every race, but some of the races when it counted, like Worlds. I don't know. That that year that I was third, I had a, I think I had a 21 or so minute swim, which was only a minute or two behind the leaders, which was close enough. Mm-hmm. You know, percentage-wise, like Ironman or half Ironman, the swim is obviously a very small percentage of an Xterra race. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The race is being two to three hours. That makes it a, a bigger case for swimming more efficiently rather than uh, swimming for speed. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's probably the biggest goal. Yeah. So, uh, I guess from there, fast forward, uh, you've been racing mountain bikes. You were mountain bike national champion twice or once, uh, 
more once once okay yeah 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 <laughs> I, I, yeah i took the lead this is kind of some uh <laughs> some lead up to that that year that i won nationals so i didn't go the last two years in snowshoe west virginia because i yeah. did i just wasn't going to travel all the way across the country for that no offense just yeah. too much too many other things going on yeah uh but the year prior to winning it i took the lead with a couple miles left in the race and that Championship was also at Mammoth yeah. uh, Mountain, just a couple hours south of here, and I cramped ah. and lost the lead. You know, with just a few miles to go, and it was it was it was bittersweet. You know, and I was like, okay, don't let this happen again next year. Come back, make sure you do your work. Hope everything you know goes to plan, and and see what you can put together. So, why do you think you cramped? I don't know. Yeah, I didn't think about it too much, other than you know, I just. There goes there goes first place. I can't, can't do anything about it. Obviously, so, something to do with nutrition. You know, right. probably just didn't eat or drink enough. You know, throughout the race and, um, yeah, just yeah. It's easy to it's easy at a high elevation like that in a cool environment because it's relatively cool at Mammoth right. too. To not drink enough, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah. Right, There's that so evaporative cooling. You're totally. sweating, but you don't really feel it because it's just you know coming right off your skin yeah so i you went from xterra you dialed that back uh i guess started a family the whole deal career which we're going to get into that and how you balance that with, with you know training for nationals for cyclocross but then into mountain biking and then kind of like the main thing is you went from like you know recently your focus was mountain biking and then you switched over to cyclocross and that's something that i feel like a lot of people just assume that if you're a mountain biker you it's just straight across like you know it's really easy it's basically the same thing you're just on a different bike mm -hmm. uh trails aren't as technical something like that um but was that hard to transfer from going from cyclocross or mountain biking to cyclocross, did you notice that you had any deficiencies on anybody or was it indeed just like a straight across easy roll? It wasn't easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It wasn't easy at all. Uh, what was hard about it? Well, it, it does, you know, I, I think I, I, I've switched sports this many times because I like new challenges. You know, I, I like the challenge of it because it's something that doesn't suit me you know, maybe physically or from where my background is with big mountains or long climbs. Um, it's sort of a, you know, it, it's a hybrid sport, be somewhere between mountain biking and road racing. You mm -hmm. know, it's kind of there in the middle. And I didn't do a lot of road racing, but um, I, I kind of like the, the, the mass start, the group riding, the tactics, mm -hmm. the, the different skill set of handling, you know, skinny tires on <laughs> off-road surfaces. So, mm -hmm. I, I can't say it came naturally. You know, I've been doing it increasingly more and more each year the last few years. But prior to 2015, I'd only done a couple cyclocross races, mo mostly just local stuff, just for mm -hmm. something to do in the off season mm -hmm. between mountain bike or, or after Xterra just to, you know, yeah. just to mess around. So did you um, find the group tactics, or I should say the race tactics or group tactics part hard to figure out? with cyclocross? Cause it certainly is there. Like, uh, whereas with mountain biking, it isn't quite as prevalent in some cases. Yeah. I think it depends on the course. Yeah. I think there's certain courses where being with that group is, is really helpful, especially if it's windy or flat or fast. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, some of the races on my, on my five week break where, where I raced across the country being with that front group and at nationals, actually, mm -hmm. that was really key to be with that front group mm -hmm. to make sure you were taking the good lines. Um, you know, just feeding off the energy at the front of the race, um, 
you know, just being competitive just kind of pulls you along. So, yeah. and there's some races like uh, the Iowa, you know, Jingle Cross World Cup where less important, you know, I mean, there's a few long straights where you could probably get a draft and, and use some group tactics. But given the elevation change and variation, you know, that, that those are the differentiators uh, on that type of course. So it depends on the course. It depends on who you're racing with, mm-hmm. you know. Did you change the way, I guess, or let's talk about what was your – so the video that, that we've got up here, the Road to Cyclocross Nationals with you in it, do you remember what your threshold was and what your weight was that year uh, to kind of give people an idea of your performance? For level? last year? Yeah, when for I, last year. It yeah. was right around 300. For your threshold? Yeah, for and, my functional threshold power. 135 pounds roughly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so a little bit below five watts per kilo. 4.91. And I want to put this in context too, because Chad, you're six feet tall, right? Six two. Oh, you're six two. So two inches taller, but you're about 187. Mm-hmm. 185. 189. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got a scale. We'll put you on oh. right now. Um, and, and Justin is two inches shorter, but 135. Yeah. yeah. That's, it a gives you a different, senior. different builds. Yeah. Something I've noticed, this is just my, my, uh, something that I feel like I've noticed from your riding is that you have really impressive repeatability, uh, meaning that you can go hard, but then you can settle back in close to that threshold and then you can go hard again. Uh, I don't know if that's something that you've noticed throughout your career in running and everything else like that. I mean, it would make sense if you're doing miles, that sort of stuff, you know, those are not crazy long distances, but yeah, it's interesting that you've Notice that. Yeah, it sucks. It's kind of surprising. Maybe yeah. you've looked at my, uh, maybe, maybe you looked at my training. Uh, I think no, that you dropped him. No, you just dropped me. Yeah. So, and I, I figure it out pretty easily. I'll be going again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think, uh, I think part of that comes from my running days. When I was a middle distance runner, I was able to crank out pretty consistent high level efforts and recover fairly quickly. And I think you have to have that to run middle distance. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to suffer at a very high level Mm -hmm. and then take a short break and go back to it. You know, when I'm thinking Mm -hmm. of track workouts, Mm -hmm. you know, 400 meter, 20 by 400 meters, Mm -hmm. you know, at basically race pace and be able to recover within 60 seconds or something, it develops that repeatability. So I think maybe some of my muscle twitch fiber is suited to that. Mm-hmm. Um, and somewhat it's, it's been how I've trained a long time from maybe my running career into mountain biking, which is very stochastic, you know, mm-hmm. very on and off. Mm-hmm. And that's transferred now into, into cyclocross, which I think is, is important. That's mm-hmm. interesting. So to break that down in time, you probably have years of doing like minute on at almost max effort mm-hmm. within a minute off and then a minute on and then somewhere probably I'm guessing maybe 130s or two minutes if you as you go up to longer intervals and 800s and stuff. Yep. And then do you ever go shorter than that? Probably not. Oh, sure. For you middle did? distance? Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we would run lots of quarter mile repeats mm-hmm. and uh, even, even 200, you know, running 200 sprints. Um, yeah, middle distance runners, you kind of have to be strong at both ends of the spectrum. And uh, by all means, we did a lot of, you know, 100 meter sprints too, to, to just develop efficiency while running fast and turning over your legs. I would say too, that's a great way. And, and, you know, in train run, we have a lot of workouts like that. And it's also, if you're a runner, a great way to get injured. You find a lot of people mm-hmm. get super injured doing those kind of workouts, but I mean, you, the, it's like risk and reward mm-hmm. because you get a huge reward from doing those kind of workouts, but you also get 
It's sure. nice to do more like bike. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's <laughs> yeah, kind exactly. of my point on that. You and you've actually, I mean, uh, you're Chad, you've mentioned this uh, when we've talked about like my goals with national championships and mountain biking and everything else. I like, you know, sure. Like getting your threshold to one spot. Cause like 300 isn't, isn't like 4.9 watts per kilogram to be competitive for a national championship. You know, that's you're, you're kind of just getting in the ballpark, but really if you're, if it doesn't exactly. paint the whole picture. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Cause for instance, I mean, if you can punch hard and, and this brought up another question I want to get to about your, uh, when you dipped into the UCI waters briefly mm-hmm. is that you have to be able to punch really hard and then settle back in then punch really hard with minimal recovery. So there's a lot of anaerobic contribution, a lot of anaerobic work, but all the recovery takes place aerobically. So you have to have really robust anaerobic resources, really robust aerobic resources and have to be able to couple them in a way that makes you competitive. It helps you hang in there. And when you talk about your, your brief foray into UCI races, how it was just so hard. I wonder if the only difference is simply, I mean, and I know those guys do have higher FTPs, higher strength to weight ratios, mm-hmm. but I'd be willing to bet they can punch harder and then, and then settle back into just like everyone else does, but they're a little further up the road and then they punch harder. So in and out of turns, um, after you know, remounting, after an obstacle, that sort of thing did, was that one of the differentiators? I think so. I, I think I would get up above, you know, well, well above my threshold and try to recover in the turns or, mm-hmm. you know, in a slight descent or maybe on the, on a road section behind a pack of guys. And I would still be way in the red and I couldn't recover. Sure. And, uh, once, you know, the next sprint out of the next turn would come, I would Bury go, you, you know, more. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's probably it. It just felt so fast the whole way. I w- just wasn't getting proper recovery. recovery. Yeah. So it was really tough. The interesting thing with that too, is that as you, you know, fast forward <clears throat> a few laps into that race where you're having to do those sort of efforts and mm-hmm. they're just a little higher, what happens is your peaks have to get higher. And then the valleys end up also getting lower and you get to a point where those peaks just can't go high enough to try to do the makeup work to get up to those guys. So it's, it's, um, it's kind of funny. Like when you look at, um, we looked at Keegan Swenson's cross files, right? Like when he, he doesn't, he isn't a cross racer. He's a mountain biker, but every once in a while he races cross and he does very well. And he has, he has such well-developed anaerobic and aerobic capacity like that, mm-hmm. you know, and he's and his resources are just there on tap that when he does it, his power files are so much smoother than somebody like mine because he's able to, he doesn't have to make the peaks quite as high. And if he does, he's just fine settling in pretty close to that again. Right. So I want to talk to you about like, if on a, on a course that has, let's say there's like really tight turns where you really slow down, then accelerate versus a course that has kind of wider turns that maybe a bigger guy like Chad and I would carry, hold more momentum. Carry speed, mm-hmm. Yeah, with, with your weight. Do you find mm-hmm. that you, you do better if it's kind of that almost like slow down a complete 180 and then accelerate out to burn out other people? Yeah, and I think I think the Nationals course in Reno here last year was, wasn't was a lot of 180-degree turns. They were a little more sweeping turns with mm-hmm. – you know, some climbs in there, some steep, some some longer drawn out. That false flat through the start finish yeah. was actually a pretty good, you know, section for me because it, it was somewhat of an elevation gain there through the mm-hmm. through the start line. I mean, it was almost imperceptible, but it actually was a climb. So your I legs think that, felt it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, that you know Chad and I were talking about the recent UCI races that I jumped into. I got my license and thought, well, this will be a good way for me to test myself, um, get into some more competitive fields, you know, get dragged along at a higher pace. And 
it, it, it throttled me. I mean, it was hard to stay on the lead lap and um, at, at Cross, Cross Reno or Reno Cross. What is it? Reno called? Cross. Reno Cross. It's tricky. There's been both. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so um, that's what we were talking about. So some, the boat, as well as West Sacramento UCI race just uh, two weeks ago. So both of those courses were very grass heavy, lots of tight turns, not a, not a ton of elevation change. And, you know, they weren't very well suited for my strengths and, uh, and I paid for it. Yeah. We're thinking that I, I think this is the conventional wisdom that a grass, a thicker grass course would be better for bigger riders because you're having to overcome rolling resistance in that grass. It's kind of like riding into a stiff, consistent wind. Like in, in the sense that like it's just going to force you yeah, to, just to ride it. leans more toward raw watts and being mm -hmm. able to produce big power and not have to worry about strength of weight. It's mm -hmm. just about the strength end of it. Where you might, more so. Justin, you might do better in a loose over hard, kind of more technical, lots of 180s, lots of acceleration. Accelerating out of turns, yep. accelerating up climbs. Steep climbs, yeah. technical downhills. Yeah. You tell Almost it. like a mountain bike race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. How, do, how do you adjust your approach in terms of tactics when you find yourself on a course that doesn't favor that. So when it is that, you know, broad turns and yeah. or it is like, do you change your approach or do you, is that the spot where you say, okay, I really need to sit in with groups or do, or do you, you just your resign yourself? To well, hopefully I've recognized before the guns got off that it maybe suits me or doesn't suit me. Mm -hmm. And I've really dialed in the turns and the course. And, you know, I, I think if I had a good starting position, uh, I, I'd probably try to see some of the other riders' lines during the race, just make sure I'm doing everything as proficiently as I can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't know if I would change a whole lot of my my tactics during the race, just knowing that the course may, maybe suits me or doesn't suit me. Mm -hmm. I'd probably depend on the competition as well. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the UCI races can be well over an hour long, Whereas the age group races that, you know, like my nationals race, I think was closer to 45 minutes. So mm -hmm. I think you got to recognize that extra 15 to 20 minutes can, can be a lot. World of difference. So difference. me, you know, you know, probably one of the mistakes I've made recently with these UCI races is thinking that I can hold my 45 minute pace for over an hour. Mm -hmm. And I couldn't, I just couldn't, you know, I, I needed to back that back and, or back that down and say, okay, how am I going to get through this one to one Oh five race with as, you know, much efficiency as I can. So, um, it's looking at a lot of different things, I think. Mm -hmm. And you're quite a good technical writer. I mean, mm -hmm. right. I mean, from what I've seen, how, how do you think you compare? And as an age grouper, I think I'm, I'm decent mm -hmm. relative to the pros that are, you know, up there in the UCI races. I mean, I'm, but within I'm age nowhere group, near those guys. With, you, uh, with escalating fatigue over the course of a 45-minute race, do you manage your technical sure. skills throughout? Yes. And, and that's probably part of the problem I learned in these UCI races that when you're going over red line, your skills start to drop. You yeah. make, start making little mistakes. Uh, you can't jump the barriers with as much energy you probably need. Mm. Uh, so yeah, when, when you're, when you're feeling good and racing it towards the pointy end of the race, you know, and you have your capabilities with you, everything seems a little bit easier. You're, sure. you're running the corners faster. You're running the barriers faster. You know, you're doing everything with some level of, of consciousness to know what's coming, coming up rather than just surviving. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, once you, once you go into the red, it's sort of like all your capabilities start to diminish. And <laughs> yeah. I think it. It, it shows up when you start crashing and, sure. you know, guys are passing you left and right. So yeah. it's, it's Smacks it's of desperation. Yeah. 
Sure. What I want to cover, so in the video uh, that people can see, they, they can see you training early in the morning, bright and early. Uh, then, they, you know, they see you at work and you with the family and training. How do you balance those three? Because people, I, I, I guess... It's, it's easy to, I guess the professional life is one in terms of professional bike racers, you know, where they have, you know, a lot of time to train and they, you know, part of their job is to minimize other responsibilities in their life so they can just have that one responsibility. But as, as a family man and having a career and everything else, you don't have that luxury. How, when do you train? And I guess what's your schedule like with training and how do you balance that with the family and work? It's tough. <laughs> yeah. it, it's not, you know, I, I, I don't want to sugarcoat this. It's not easy. Uh, my time to train is first thing in the morning when it's still dark out, my kids are sleeping. Um, you know, me and my wife try to get up around 5 to 5.30 a.m., somewhere in there. You know, ideally I'm on the bike by 6, but sometimes it's hard to get rolling. It's hard to wake up the body at 6 a.m. and start going through VO2 repeats. So <laughs> it is, um, <laughs> you know, so a cup of coffee, a small bite to eat. Um, and, and that's when I have to put in the training time. So, um, and is that it? It either happens in the morning or it doesn't happen pretty much, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, I'll take a break, uh, at work most days, you know, a, a lunch hour and I might get out for a half an hour to 45 minute spin, but that's usually a recovery ride, if anything. Mm -hmm. Um, or I'll go to the gym. You know, because the gym's just down the street from my my work. So to do what? Try, just to do some strength training strength. for half an hour. I pretty much set my watch for a half an hour. Whatever I can get in in a half an hour, um, that's it. <laughs> what do you do for strength training? Uh, a lot of core. Mm -hmm. You know, I I, I feel like uh, as I've gotten older, my back has uh, become more of a challenge, and it seems to tighten up on me more often than it used to. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have a lot of the lower extremity issues that I had when I was younger, as far as running all those miles with, you know, knee problems and stress fractures. But, mm. but I, I really tried to do a good job of keeping my core strong. I think there's a lot of stability and uh, power transfer, you know, whether it's on the mountain bike or, or any, any cycling discipline for that matter of transferring, you know, your core strength into your leg. Yeah into your mm -hmm. legs. Mm -hmm. So I, I, I do some deadlifts, some squats, some single leg squats, um, you know, some uh, plyometric jumping, um, you know, if I could gain weight in the weight room, I, I would love it. <laughs> it doesn't seem to come on like a lot of people. It goes with have, diet. Have Most people have it. a, to gain muscle mass, you need a caloric, yeah. you, you need a surplus, yeah, right? Surplus, right. You, it, it won't come out of nowhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, right. So when you eat in the morning before you ride, what do you eat? Like when you wake up at five and you get on the bike by six, what do you eat in that time? Maybe one of those uh, Cliff Z bars, you know, they're just, I yeah. don't know, 100, 150 calories. You have kids. Yeah. yeah. Those kids bars. <laughs> Heck yeah. Maybe a half of one of those Nature's Bakery fig bars. They come yeah. in like a little two-bar package, maybe a half. So not a ton. Not a ton. Uh, you know, I I think it's, I have, I think I have a little bit of a sensitive stomach. You know, I wouldn't recommend most people eat a lot dirt before a race. And mm -hmm. some of these workouts are pretty intense. So I prefer to have less in my stomach than more. Yeah. What's your normal diet like? Are you a carb centric guy? Or a, do you not eat as many carbs? Um, it's pretty well balanced. It's mm -hmm. nothing extreme on any, any front. Mm -hmm. Not um, vegetarian no. or anything like that. Okay. No, I like meat. I guess I'd probably say it's more like a paleo diet with 
pretty good uh, amount of meat and uh, you know fish, chicken. I I, I do eat my fair, fair share of red meat, <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, a lot of vegetables. But you know it's hard to get away from the the carbs. You know my kids eat a lot of carbs. It's one of their favorite meals and. So a lot of rice, potatoes, some pasta here and here, here and again, pizza. You know, I, I, I can afford to. I think I need to focus on eating more yeah. than eating less. So I'll probably eat whatever we make. But we have the um, a food uh, preparation company like across the street from my office. It's a, a paleo. Um, Oh, they prepare like, meal. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, so I'll go over there and buy 10 of those meals, throw them in my fridge at work and, you know, eat those, you know, for lunch or, or, or whatever. And they make breakfast um, dishes too. So if mm. I don't have time to eat at, at home in the morning, I'll just pop one of those in the microwave in the morning at work. And You're a three meals a day guy or snacking. What's, oh, yeah. What, what snacking. company is that? <laughs> um, I think it's called Paleo Nick. Sometimes they're... You should, some of those meals are made for weight loss. I'm just thinking, like, just yeah. <laughs> getting like calorically restricted. Yeah. Well, yeah, just the size of it. Is yeah. made for the name of the lose. company is Weight Watchers. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. Dude, I think buy they two s- of those, Justin. <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I should eat two for every meal. Yeah, yeah. I think they right. sell those meals at a lot of the CrossFit gyms. Yeah, yeah. I don't that know makes that's, sense. There's a whole bunch in town. But I was just, I was thinking. Yeah. yeah. If you want to gain weight, it's just like people who want to exercise. Oh, like man. people like I, or want to get. Or want to lose weight. They say, I don't know how to lose weight. You say, eat less. Yeah. And Justin, I don't know. Just eat more. Yeah. <laughs> I know you know you know what to do. Yeah. But you don't really – do you really need to gain weight? No. It's probably just a bias that I've had. I yeah. think that if I gain weight, I'll put on more muscle mass and then I can push higher watts. Yeah. But really, it's, it's I think, a wasted stressor. Yeah. Mm. I, I think it's, you yeah. know, just – be happy with your body type and the fact that you have a high metabolism. Don't waste stress on trying to gain weight or not being able to hit 140 or whatever. I mean, that's mm-hmm. kind of ridiculous. And so you're competitive at the level at which you compete. And I mean, you're, you're jump up into UCI. I don't know how you would do UCI racers have families and, and full-time jobs. And they're not as old as you too, Justin. <laughs> Very no, no a lot of them are 10 to 20 years younger than that me, too. So yeah. I, I don't, yeah, I, looking back at these last few weeks of racing those UCI race, I'm not really sure. Like, I thought that fully through. <laughs> <laughs> it's the idea too of like playing towards your strength. So he's naturally light. Mm-hmm. He's going to naturally do well Absolutely. on technical quick courses. He could go to 145, be an all rounder, and do okay at all courses. Mm-hmm. But probably, probably not as as good as the the bigger cross guys sure. yeah, that yeah. do great on the sweeping ones. Um, so why stress yourself? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I want to get back to the training side of things a bit on the weekends. You mentioned on your longer weekend rides, sometimes you'll do one thing or another. Uh, how do you schedule the riding on the weekends and how much do you allot for? Yeah. Usually my wife and I are talking about it on Friday night over a glass of wine, figuring out who's <laughs> going to work out when on the weekend and what the kids activities are. Yeah. Cause we have mm-hmm. two very active kids, a 10 year old and a seven year old, and they both are very athletically inclined. And so we're just juggling our schedules around theirs, really. Yeah, I think Charlie's power to weight ratio, your 10 year old is higher than mine already. <laughs> yeah, like, we should uh, test him. <laughs> like, yeah. Last year, uh, he was riding with our junior group. And like last year we were riding up this like gentle slope and I looked down and I was doing like 320 watts up this slope. 
and he was just carrying a comfortable conversation next to me. And I'm like, this is insane. He's 10 years old, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's funny. He's like mini me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, so. it's funny. So yeah. How do you, how long are your rides on the weekend then? I, 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 it depends doesn't on vary. how much time I have. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if time is tight, I'll do the trainer road, pro, uh, workouts, yep. you know, and those usually on my, uh, plan are two hours, mm -hmm. you know, both days around two hours. Um, if I'm, if I have time to go out and do our, our local ride, the drop ride, you guys have probably spoken about mm -hmm. it before. That's about two hours. Maybe I'll tack on an extra half an hour before or after. Uh, I like doing that cause it, it gets me into a scene that I, I don't naturally come from riding with a, a group of road cyclists on somewhat of a, I guess I consider somewhat of a, well, flat with some repeated climbs. So I think flat it's, says it's, you, it's a, climbing says Chad. Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a weakness it's flat for with me. repeated climbs. That's yeah. Yeah. Accurate. yeah, yeah. So, it, I mean, it doesn't, I don't think it suits me or hasn't suited me well. I've, I've been able to you know, hardly make it to the first section mm -hmm. and, uh, now I can do that comfortably mm -hmm. sit in the pack, roll through if, if we're trading poles. Yeah. And, uh, I think that's helped with cyclocross mm -hmm. being able to turn over my legs at a high you know, velocity, sure. velocity or, like, or speed. It's like motor pacing, basically. When I mean, you're stuck behind kind these of. fast dudes yeah. that are yeah. just, uh, exactly. uh, and gals that are And I've never along. tried motor pacing, but I know a lot of top cyclocross racers that motor pace consistently mm -hmm. and, and probably road and, and obviously mountain bikers too do that. So mm -hmm. I'd love to hear some of the science or data behind how that works and why is, uh, you know. I think it's the same as having lower air pressure is if you are repeatedly at that high speed, once that the motor pace is not there, that high speed doesn't feel so scary yeah, anymore. The familiarity with yeah. it. That's yeah, one like, aspect for sure. Uh, even just in Hawaii, when we were doing it, I hit 52 or 51 a few times. Whew, that used to scare me all the time. But after doing it a few times and just during that week and hitting 40 many, many times, mm -hmm. I wasn't, I wasn't so scared anymore. Yeah. And some, something that I've found, at least on the motor pacing front, we've, we've never really talked about it on the podcast, um, which is, and it's, it's, it. it's, it's hard because there's not a whole lot of data behind it, right? There's yeah. no like science or research that's been done. It's not a reasonable get for a lot of people too. I mean, mm -hmm. to have somebody, I mean, mo I don't think motor pacing behind a car is legal first off. So you're going to have to find somebody who has a moped. Yeah. You'd have to trust them. Um, they're going to have to know what they're doing. So there, there's a lot of obstacles in the way of getting out there and doing a motor pacing workout. And it's best if you have that moped that you have a roller on the back of the moped. Uh, yeah, otherwise, who does? yeah. I, I've never seen one. It's very expensive and it's, and it's still very dangerous. Like you never know what will happen that with a fast cyclist, those most little mopeds are, are pinned. They are tapped out. <laughs> so if you're doing a half hour interval, that's that thing. Like imagine taking your car to redline and just ding, 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 yeah. ding for a half hour. Like so, that little motor is ready to go. So yeah. it's, it's, it's pretty dangerous. It can be so fun. With, the fun ad, too. with the advent of e-bikes, could mm -hmm. that be uh, yeah. uh, a possible? Totally. For sure. hundred yeah. percent. Yeah. I wonder if I could get a fast enough one for my wife and I could draft behind yeah. her and then we could ride together. Yeah, yeah you totally could. Yeah. That, is that would great... hurt or help my relationship. <laughs> yeah. That is a great example of what e-bike would be, would be great for. For yeah. motor pacing. Yeah. You're like a national level cyclist and mm -hmm. how many people are married to two national level cyclists? Yeah. yeah. No, we keep, both ways, right? Yeah, we keep yeah. coming up with good use cases for e-bikes. So, yeah. so just like a dropper post, I'm coming around to this too. <laughs> so <laughs> one, I want to add something onto the motor pacing front though. The, 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 usually the goal of motor pacing is to bring about leg speed at a certain power output, uh, oh, at a certain 
speed as well. In other words, carrying a certain amount of momentum. Because it's high, it, high speed without the necessity of high power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it feels a little bit different uh, when you're you know carrying super fast like that, and you're you know you don't you aren't going uphill all the time, right? So it's getting used to that, and then it's also a consistency thing. Uh, it's it can be. Uh, if you're pushing really hard, it's still, your speed will vary quite a lot, but the scooter will kind of enforce that. And if you're with a really fast group on a road race, especially that speed, and if it's efficient, that speed won't vary a whole lot. It'll be mm-hmm. consistent and that can be really tough. So that's kind of what they, they go for. Um, but it's kind of in one respect, it's almost like uh, when we talk about people ask what gear they should be in on the trainer. And we talk about it being like a marginal gain, like you still have to do the Watts and that's like, you know, the important thing. But if you're looking for icing on the cake sort of stuff, Stuff, it's pretty good and it can be really good for, for motivation too. Uh, yeah, it's like a form of speed work. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the emphasis is more on being able to ride quickly without the focus on power, high mm-hmm. power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's kind of perception. We, yeah. uh, the drop Sporting. ride here, a local guy named Claudio would bring his moped out. Mm-hmm. And when I would get dropped, he would motor pace me back on. <laughs> yeah. And that was like super fun. Yeah. Uh, Cause then you could get on and do more laps and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, awesome. it's pretty helpful. Um, let's get into bike stuff and the equipment that you have. Uh, so you, I think you raced on the Cannondale super X the past two years. I don't know. Is that what you're still on this year? Correct. That bike is really good. Yeah. Like I've, I've ridden a, a good, a good amount of cross bikes. And that is by far my favorite cross bike I've ridden. That, that thing is really impressive. I feel like the handling is good. Cannondale isn't sponsoring anything. It's just genuinely like I get excited when bikes handle well. <laughs> <laughs> and this one handles extremely well. Um, it's, it's like composed. I, I, I don't know if it's because of the compliance they have built into it, but it's, it's a solid bike. Uh, what size do you ride being six foot? Cause you can kind of go in between sizes. Yeah. I believe mine's a 56. Okay. Yeah. So what, what do you think of the handling and the, I think it's great. Yeah. Yeah. It's have real compliant. You used to be on a focus before, I think. Correct. Have you noticed how uh, did like actually, I, yeah, I had a, a focus and, uh, right before that I had a felt, mm-hmm. um, cross bike. Both of those were good. I think the sizing was a little bit off for me on the on the focus. I think the frame was a little small for me. I felt like the amount of seat post I had showing was excessive. Yeah, yeah. And I had a pretty long stem on it, so I'm not sure the sizing was great. So hard to compare apples to apples. But uh, the felt was nice, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, the, the Super X has been great. I've been so happy with it. You know, I have a couple of them now. So yeah, yeah. I mean they you know, really comfortable, you know, maybe not as aero, but that's less of a concern for me. So mm-hmm. back to that specificity rule, I figured if I'm going to be racing on a super X, I want to have a super X built up for the road. So mm-hmm. I have one of those built up for the road and, uh, that is cool. Yeah. And that gives you a second bike too. Do you switch it over? So is that your backup bike for, no, I, actually got, I got, I got three. We have a friend <laughs> named Steve Lewis who has a, a tight association with Cannondale and he was looking to get run, rid of his old super X. And I was like, you know what? Hey, it'd be really great to have a third super X just dedicated to the road. So I bought his used frame and so now I have two for cross, dedicated to cross, set up with my you know, one by drivetrain cross setup, and then one specifically set up for the road. Mm. Um, one thing I've noticed that the Super X does impressively well compared to others. I was trying to think of this instead of just saying the bike is so good. Uh, when you're in turns on that bike and you're leaned over and you're in grass when it's bumpy and unsettled, that bike stays much more planted than other bikes I've ridden. Like it, it gives you more confidence. It feels... M- just like basically you get to pick your line, 
regardless of what's underneath you compared to like a, a, a traditional cross bike. So, which is a huge advantage. It just lets you relax and recover in those turns way mm. better, which, right. which is huge and cross. Uh, so let's talk, uh, you have a one by drivetrain. What gearing do you have on the back? Do you know what the, what cassette you have? Um, I it's believe the, it's an 1132. Yeah. Yeah. It's a Shimano drivetrain. So it's an 1132. Got it. And then what do you run for tires? Is it like because that's we're talking on, a, thing on the cross bike, or cross road bike, bike. Okay. cross bike, yeah, yeah, uh, tubulars. Okay, uh, I have a couple Ooh. sets of zips. Uh, they're actually 303s, I think. On the blog, I, I said 404s incorrectly, they're 303s, <laughs> and uh, they're 33s. You know, most of those tubular wheels are set up or, or built around 33 uh, millimeter tires, you know, UCI that's rules. the UCI limit, so mm-hmm. um. And uh, I'm, I'm riding some Donnelly tires, you know, either the MXP, which is sort of their all-around tire, or their PDX, which is their mud tire. Got it. And uh, if, I'm, if it's not necessary to have those tires, I'll run the wheels that came with the Super X. It's a tubeless hologram. Uh, I think it's about a 30, 35 millimeter um, deep wheel yep. and I'll just run some semi-slicks like Max's speed train or something speed similar train. to that. That's a good one. Yeah. Do you, do you know what pressure you run on those tubulars? You can run really low pressure on tubulars. Yeah. Since I'm, I'm pretty low weight, I'm usually around 20 to 22, somewhere in that range. Yeah. Uh, depending that, on the course, sense. if it's, you know, mud or snow, maybe even something a little <laughs> bit lower, mm-hmm. you know, as long as there's no risk of of flatting or pinch flatting or something. Are tubulars comparable to tubeless then in terms of pressure? Yeah, you can run even lower technically. Yeah, Mm. yeah. On tubulars. Yeah, on tubulars, just because you don't have to worry about pinching. Uh, And I mean, technically, I guess you still do. I mean, because a rock could go in there and really slam the thing, but you don't have any bead hooks at all because it's just glued onto that guy. If you do flat, you should be able to get to the next pit zone. Oh, sure. To get your spare bike. Okay. Right. Without having to worry about a tire rolling off your rim and Feeling going everywhere, and I discovered a consequence of riding a flat tire. If you have a tube in there, uh, and if you keep riding that rim that I had after a Reno cross, because I got a flat on the second lap, rode for two laps with that flat, and just you know carried on throughout the race. And now the hole where your valve stem goes is just a gigantic oval because it pulled the valve stem so much. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, you can't really ride with flats uh, unless you have that. It, yeah. Do you glue your own tubulars? Too? No. Okay. Yeah. No, one That's of my coworkers, <laughs> Josh, you guys know Josh. Uh, yeah. He's good at gluing tubulars. I mean, he probably does it better than a lot of people, kind of overkill with the layers of glue. Yeah. I have no experience in that. I don't plan on becoming an expert at that. Yeah, that's uh, just some serious work, man. Yeah. That's a lot of mess, and yeah, I, yeah. I'd be I'd be terrified of it rolling off underneath. Right. I'm never gonna glue your tubulars if you ever get them, Nate. Thank you. Yeah, I won't. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then you run, uh, I think, a stages on there on the power meter. On yeah, the bike? yeah, yeah. Um, left do you, side. Do you run a watch or do you run a head unit on the bike? Because cross racers don't tend to run head units all the time. Yeah, mostly a watch. Mm-hmm. You know, but when I'm out on the road or just on a you know training ride, I'll throw the Garmin Edge up there and. Yeah. Uh, because, you know, I'm not looking at my watch during a race, uh, but I like having the data to look back on. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's kind of nice to have it on the watch. It's not in front of your face. You're worrying about, oh, I'm, I'm going too hard or why is my heart rate so high? So mm-hmm. it's kind of nice to have it on your watch and not not right there at the bar for me. For uh, cross but, racing. <laughs> yeah, for cross <laughs> racing. Yeah. Uh, but, but in training, yeah, I like to see the numbers on my, yeah. on my Garmin. 
um, how do you handle bike swaps? You have two bikes, uh, but if you're solo at a race like that, how do you handle that? As best you can. You know, you either recruit somebody that looks like they're friendly and will do it for you or put it somewhere in the pits where it's going to be convenient convenient for you to grab it. Yeah. That's yeah. what I did at uh, Sacramento. I wasn't sure if my wife was going to be able to hang out in the pit zone, um, especially with two kids. And so <laughs> yeah. I put it strategically at the end of the pit so it was <laughs> easy to grab. Yeah. Um, but so no flying, a, no flying a, dismount and remount in that yeah. case. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. I mean, if, 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 if you have a mechanical, you just deal with what you, what you have. So, yeah. I mean, obviously you're going to lose a few seconds. Hopefully it's later in the race where there's already been some separation between groups or riders. Yeah. Uh, but you, you work with what you have. Uh, what about warmups prior to a race? Do you warm up? Do you, or do you have a protocol and what's that protocol like? Yeah, it's pretty structured now yeah. after trial and error. Yep. Uh, th- thanks to trainer road, having some nice, uh, warm up workouts. I basically adopted one of those as my go-to workout, whether I'm on a trainer, stationary trainer or out on the road, you know, that kind of depends on where I'm at. And if I even have a stationary trainer with me and that's para, I think is what it's, para, yeah. what it's called. Yeah. 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 yeah it's a nice, uh, gradual build from going from some more aerobic, lower intensity efforts to some very mm-hmm. short, intense efforts with a good amount of rest. Yeah. And the workouts, I think 30 minutes long. And I think based on the studies and from maybe what, I, what I've heard from you guys, 30 minutes is probably enough warm up time to get all the systems turned on mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. and then just spin over to the start and, you know, hopefully stay warm. I haven't made many workouts in our library. Uh, that one I did. Mm-hmm. Chad heavily edited it thereafter. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's actually named after the local trail region over by by our house that I ride on my mountain bike all the time. So um, so when you warm up, what trainer do you use? Do you use the, I think I've seen you with Omnium. Yeah, the Feedback Omnium. Feedback Sports. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a good one. Uh, that would be so handy to have. Little mini rollers. Yeah. 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 Those are awesome. And then you can kind of adjust the, the, the angle of the front because a lot of the time I found like at cross races, you go, you know, you're at parks or something like that right. and you're not guaranteed a flat parking lot or anything mm-hmm. else so like riding rollers becomes a, a basically an experiment in gravity and physics because you're constantly like falling down sure. off the edge of them so sure that's a lot easier um how long before the race do you plan to do that warm-up usually well i didn't mention that i do probably 10 to 15 minutes of plyometrics you know those okay. uh sort of get my body warmed up before I get on the trainer. Mm-hmm. It's like jumping jacks. Yeah, and stuff. yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, just some, you know, leg swings, some trunk rotations. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, basic stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. just trying to get the body warm before I dynamic get on the warm up to get yeah. that neuromuscular system communicating. Mm-hmm. Yep, yeah. exactly. I kind of learned some of that more dynamic workout or, or warm up from my running days. You know, we did a mm-hmm. lot of plyometric movements mm-hmm. just to try to expand range of motion and prevent injury and make sure our bodies are warmed up before we, you know, run, ran hard. So sa- same idea here. Yeah, just to try to get my back warmed up. And I feel like, especially with cross, you really use your back a lot, yeah. you know, especially sure. when you're jumping on and off your bike or pushing jumping a hard barriers, yeah. pushing a hard yeah. gear up a steep slope. You end up using a whole lot of that. Yeah. yeah. A lot more pronounced than, than mountain bike, I think. Uh-huh. Um, so I think that's helped warm up my back. So when I get on the trainer, I'm almost, you know, almost ready to work hard Yeah. because I try to make those plyometric 
apart, pretty dynamic. Most of us cyclists just pin our number on before that. That's basically it's been around for five minutes. <laughs> yeah. Good. Yeah, that's good enough. Yeah. So I think I think actually to to back you know sort of you figure out when your race starts and then you figure out okay if my if I want to start you know get to the start line 15 minutes early, then you know and I want to have a half an hour warm up you know, I at least need to start 45 minutes before the race start. And then you tack on a little bit of time for those plyometrics. That's Mm -hmm. another, I'd say 15 to 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. So I'm effectively starting an hour before the race, maybe an hour 10, just to give myself a few extra minutes. Are you Uh, seated in any particular order at uh, national level races? Yeah. Usually they, they, they go by points Mm. for the entire field. There's not, there's not some cutoff. They seed the top 10 riders and then everyone I'm, I'm, I'm familiar no, I, with the process. Well, that's a, that's a good question. He uh, doesn't know cause he's always top 10. <laughs> <laughs> I think what they do is they, they do it by points and then they do it by random if you don't have points. Okay. So sense. that's what they did for the UCI races. I just did too. If you don't have a UCI point, they don't go and look at your in. USAC points. Yeah. They call yeah, up they all the care. UCI point yeah. holders and then they do it randomly. Okay. Yeah. So don't expect if you're getting into your first UCI race, maybe a lot of people don't have to worry about that. But uh, if you did, that you know those USAC points, USA Cycling points, don't matter. Yeah, because what I'm driving at is you can't schedule your warm up right up until it if you have to be there a half hour early mm-hmm. just to secure a decent start position. Right. Yeah, because yeah, some a lot of the time in call ups like we've seen is that uh, like in, in, in non UCI stuff, like you'll see where they'll call up a certain amount of people. Then after that, they'll just be like, go ahead. But just folds in. Fold in after that. Yeah. yeah. So then you you have to make sure that you're up there uh, and kind of waiting for a while. Which in some cases can completely negate the benefit of warm up. <laughs> I mean, if you have yeah. to sit there for 30 minutes, not much your warm up is left. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah it, like 15 minutes isn't excessive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Anything in between that is is what I've found to be usually ideal. Yeah, um, yeah. These last uh, couple UCI races, I got at West Sacramento. I think I was in the last to be on the second row, which is great. Mm. Uh, but at Reno, I think I was in the fourth or fifth row. So there's to the point that you just never know where you're going to be yeah. uh, seated if you don't have you know those points with you. Yeah. Uh, I, what do you eat before a race? You talked about before a workout that's early in the morning, but how long before a cyclocross race do you eat? And then what is it like? A lot of people might be listening to this as, you know, longer distance triathletes or like, you know, when you do like a long road race or something else, this is a pretty short race, relatively speaking. And hard. Yeah. And it's, and it's intensity is just crazy high. So what do you uh, eat and how long? Yeah. Before? I, I don't, you know, I, I think my stomach is somewhat more sensitive than the, maybe the average person. So mm-hmm. I try to hedge on the less food than more. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, you've already done the carbo loading you've already got the calories on board, like you guys have pointed out. So, um, if it's a, you know, a late afternoon start, maybe, uh, something easy, like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, you know, four hours before with, you know, maybe, a, maybe a banana or something light, maybe some, even if you have some pancakes or something mm-hmm. easily digestible, Yeah, you know, for me that works. So like, I don't make it more uh, complex or, or difficult than, than it need be. So four hours yeah. before then nothing sports drink or anything leading up to the race. Yeah. I might, might drink a, a simple sugar electrolyte drink the last hour leading up to while I'm warming up and doing the plyometrics and getting changed. And, and, uh, I have taken a goo right before the start or, or a gel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've even done ones with caffeine that mm-hmm. seems to sit well with me. Just kind of make sure I have some, um, 
quick energy on store for this for the start. Yeah, and the so. reason so the reason that you're leaving like such a substantial amount of time is because you're worried about your stomach getting upset. Is that is that yeah? The I don't want to yep. be burping Makes and sense. have gas, yeah. and, and and my yeah. warm ups really starting in earnest an hour before the actual race starts. So that's kind of so what I'm like judging three. on. Yeah. I don't want to get to the trainer or my plyometrics and still feel full. Hmm. Yeah. I'd rather be a little bit on the on the easier side of the stomach. Slightly different than Leadville, right, Nate? <laughs> no, it's the same kind of idea. It was like four hours before. Yeah, that's true. Actually, eating. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, I guess the intent of, of you know, the, I was. We've covered this on the podcast before, but you ate insane yeah. amounts of food. Leading the up same there. principles. <laughs> I just eat a lot more than Justin. If you can tell from the podcast, from the live. Well, screen. I guess at the long race like that, it doesn't start quite as intensely. Everything else, you know, it, it is slightly different. You definitely want to make sure that you don't have anything still in the oven uh, cooking away. Yeah, there. filling your muscles for. A nine-hour event versus a forty-five-minute. Yes, it's very different. It's yeah. different, but it's the lower RPE of having high, lots of carbs, even on an hour event. Oh, yeah. Lower sure. RPE, so you could perform better with yeah. carbs. But if it's going to make you sick, there's the yeah, yeah. Stress, how yeah. where's the where's the balance? Exactly. Point? It's a. I think it's an individual experiment that people could run. Right. Do you have something that you always try to remember that you've learned on starts, like to get good starts? Because uh, I've seen like a, a lot of people, I, I think for, for me growing up in a motocross background, and that is like the most high intensity start scenario, it's very scary, right? Like, you know, very loud motors and you're bumping people going very fast and everything else. So when I'm on the line with a cross race, it feels very relaxed and calm, but I've noticed that for a lot of people, it is not that way. And it's a, uh, it's one where if you're not okay with rubbing elbows and that sort of stuff, you can get shuffled really far back. Um, I have a few things that I remember, but is there something that you, you know, like a checklist that you do when you're on the start, you know, make sure you're in the right gear or anything else like that? Yeah, absolutely. The, the gearing is important. You should know, I mean, you should have that practice, not just when you get to the starting line, you're figuring out what gear you're in. I pretty much start in the same gear. It's, you know, my, um, I know because it's four down. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's probably like my 26. Yeah. <laughs> somewhere in there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously that can depend on what kind of incline you're on, if it's flat or a slight uphill or slight downhill. So that could change a, a tad. But Or the surface or, too, right? Yeah. Drunk the surface. Or asphalt. Right. And it depends on if you have people in front of you. Mm. I mean, it. you can only get into your pedals so fast and, and go so far before hitting the person in front of you. So, mm -hmm. and that would be my number one recommendation is to not crash at the start, you know, be patient, <laughs> yeah, things will advice. break up. Yeah. Uh, but, but number two, you know, know what gear you're in, know which, uh, foot you want to have in the pedal pedal, yep. what foot's on the ground. So I, I have myself perched on my saddle, basically on the tip of my saddle with my, um, with my left foot on the ground, yep. you know, barely touching the ground. And I basically have pressure on the pedal. So I think if you looked at a clock face, you would see my crank at, uh, I guess that would be two like two o'clock. Mm -hmm. Yeah, two mm -hmm. o'clock. And I'm holding my, my brakes. Same. So, yeah. I mean, you should have power being basically applied, like you're throttling a car, mm -hmm. you're basically throttling your bike mm -hmm. and you're just preventing yourself from moving, moving by holding your brake on. A really smart thing about that is how you still have your weight placed on the saddle, not entirely, but there's some there. And I see a lot of people just standing and getting ready to go. And when you do that, you don't have enough weight over that back wheel. So it's really easy to just spin out, lose traction, 
makes it harder to clip in. You lose momentum. Yeah. You cause a cascade of problems behind you. You lose the people in front of you. But when you can start with a little bit of pressure on that saddle, it may even mean that you lean your bike a bit over to the side to be able to reach that ground, but it can be super helpful in getting a smoother start. And which, on bikes too, it's easier to find that in, in our cases, cause I'm, I have right foot down too, or right foot in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm helping that left foot find the pedal more quickly. Right. It's less of a gamble. I mean, if all your body weight's counting on finding that pedal, you're, <laughs> it's a bit of a crapshoot, but if you have most of your weight distributed between your right foot and your saddle, then mm -hmm. finding it isn't as, in, as right. consequential. Yeah. yeah, I'll practice those and just skill sessions on my own. I'll just find a sidewalk crack and just count down and just practice clipping into my pedal and mm. turning over the pedals, three, four pedal strokes as hard as I can, and then stopping and doing it over. Yeah. How often do you do that? Not often enough, you know, maybe once a week, uh, I'll do a skill session at a, at a local park. That's yeah. more often than 99% of people. <laughs> yeah. Listen. yeah. 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 I mean, you gotta, I try to put it on my schedule, you know? Yeah. Well, those it's was, important. I think we discount it until mm -hmm. race day shows up and, and you think back, yeah, yeah I should have done that skill. I work on totally. Is that yeah. the 30 minute, like lunch rides kind yeah. of cover you do with that inside of that? No, I mean, I'll either go ride the ditch trail, which is a local ditch trail, or I'll go over to the park and practice skills. Yeah. And there, I try to keep them both fairly recovery based. Mm. Yeah. I mean, but, but some of the cyclocross drills and stuff are pretty intense. Throwing the bike up on your shoulder and running up a, you know, 20 Short meter hill line. can be not recovery like. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sort of need to monitor, you know, how things are feeling and if that's the right day to do it. So a lot of times the days that I, I'm just shot from one of the trainer road workouts in the morning. I just got to, I just have to go spin, mm -hmm. you know, doing the skill session is probably going to be more mm -hmm. hurtful than helpful. Not recovery. Yeah. yeah. Do you uh, prefer starting on the inside or the outside? And when I say inside or outside, I'm talking about when you line up on the start, uh, inside would be on the inside of the first turn. In other words, like if you have a left turn coming up, that would be lining up on the left uh, versus outside. Do you have a preference? I like being on the outside if yeah. I have a choice. Uh -huh. And why is that? I just think there can be a lot of uh, riders vying for a small portion of real estate. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're in the front, it's not that big a deal because you can you know, ride that apex of that turn probably mm -hmm. as fast as or faster than most of the guys next to you or behind you. But odds are somebody goes out ahead of you and you know if they've got the whole shot there and take the inside line and crash or, you know, just botch the turn, I want, I want an exit plan. Mm -hmm. So I think I'd rather be a little cautious and have a little more real estate to work with to swing out wide if I need to. Mm. It's just being a little more cautious. It's probably not the fastest line yeah. or fastest way to the first turn, but I think I'd, I'd rather hedge on not crashing, having a little bit of extra room to swing out wide. And you might be able to even carry your speed better, especially if that first turn or corner is loose. Yeah. You know, they might really have to hit the brakes hard to get around it and you might be able to carry speed a little more. So yeah. um, I guess I, I like to be a little bit wider. During that first lap, how much energy do you expend to try to like get in a good position and how much of it is waiting just till it thins out? Yeah, I guess nationals is a good example of that or, or any of my sabbatical races, you know, having a good call up is important. Uh, it, usually if you can get through the first lap or two with a group or, or the front group, I mean, it usually pays dividends later because usually you can figure out, you know, the, 
the ebb and flow of the group, where the moves are going to probably be thrown and, and where your effort level is going to come up, where you can recover. And then you start figuring out where my strengths lie relative to these riders. Oh, I'm always riding up on these wheels and these three turns, or I'm always right up on the riders in front of me when I'm going up this long uh, run up. So you're sort of figuring out where your strengths are relative to the other riders around you. So you can start, you know, kind of balancing your effort level. Mm. Um, Do you notice yeah. that uh, running up, run ups, running up hills, are you better than other people? Because you have your cross country background and people think triathletes, oh, I'm going to be great because yeah. I can run. Yeah, um, I would think I should be, so but yeah. I feel like I'm going the same speed as everybody else. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's where I should throw down a move. But I think, I feel like these cross racers can run with mm -hmm. their bikes just as fast as most of the runners out there. It's going to be a marginal gain too. I mean, yeah. for you to go just a little bit faster running up that hill is going to take well, so much more energy. Just getting in front of one person. Yeah. Right. right. That's, that's the part that, but that's the part that could be beneficial. And I wonder when you run, are you totally gassed after you run? Cause I am totally gassed after I do any running. <laughs> yeah. It is not like running track. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a, a lot different. Yeah. yeah just yeah. going from a motion of cycling to running is sort of awkward and yeah, it hurts a lot more than just going for a run to me. Yeah. Uh, running fast with your bike, you know, one arm around the, obviously around the handlebar and frame and one arm out is, it's, it's hard. I didn't get to ask you this, but what was your mile PR? Uh, let's see. Well, mostly in college, we run the metric mile. So we run the 1500 meter. I think my PR was right around 350, 352. Pretty fast. Somewhere in there. Didn't yeah. you have like a really fast half time or something? Yeah. Well, no, I mean, there's a lot of fast guys out there, yeah. but for me, it was okay. I ran about 152, 800 meter. Oh, I mean half marathon. Oh, half marathon. Uh, yeah, I ran the, the Biz Johnson trail marathon and I set the course record, but it was, it was hard for me. I fell apart the last six miles. I was on pace to run. I think right around 2.30, and I think I ended up running 2.45. I, you better hey, look up my time because I don't remember. 2.45 trail marathon, and that just gives you an idea. He's not passing people yeah. on the runs yeah. in cyclocross. That's my kind of point. It's where not you the think, same thing. Yeah, you, you're traveling. You think you're going to just be able to beat everyone or a runner. Here's proof right here. How do you train for running uh, during the season? I mean, you mentioned the fact that, you know, shouldering the bike and running, but do you, do you just try to run steep inclines or what do you do? When I'm out there at the park with yeah. my bike, yeah, it's throwing the bike as quickly as I can up onto my shoulders and running up that hill because I, you know, walking up it or jogging up, but I don't, I don't think you really get the feel of what that feels like yeah. of shouldering a bike and having the crank hit you. <laughs> yeah. excuse, my, excuse my language. And what it's up. like to get back on the bike when you're that gassed. Right. Yeah. yeah. Getting into your pedals quickly when you get back on. Yeah. yeah. Making sure that you're in the right gear when you got off your bike so that when you get back on, you're not in the awkward gear then. There's a lot yeah. more that actually is, is part of it than just jumping on and off your bike. You know, you want to make it as seamless and as smooth as you can to try to get as much out of it. So yeah. Watching pro riders too, or even just fast riders, like, you know, fast cat one riders, I jog up hills, but for me, it feels maximal and they're sprinting, right? Yeah, like yeah. when we call it sprint, it's, it's relative. I mean, we're yeah. working as hard as a sprint, but we're just not moving that we're quickly. We're just not moving that fast. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. But so it's, it's really like, it's not, um, by going out for a jog, 
I'm not sure how much real benefit you're getting. I mean, I'm sure you're getting some benefits, but you're really not getting a precise not a, workout. Not a transferable benefit. Yeah. It's just not the same thing. You can have tremendous endurance, be a 230 marathoner and go out to a cross race and it's just apples and oranges. It's too different. I think you're right. I think there's a lot of cyclists that don't have running background. I don't think that hinders their I agree. aptitude or athletic ability or results. I yeah. just think that cycling is most of it. And practicing those cyclocross, cyclocross specific skills is, is the key part. It's not coming from a running background yeah. is going to benefit your cyclocross. I wish it, I wish it did. Yeah. I bet you yeah. do. If it's, a muddy, <laughs> if it's a muddy course, then maybe, you know, you, yeah. then you just run the whole race. That's true. That's true. <laughs> That's it, about it, it. If it's an unusually uh, heavy runner's course, then yeah, the, the runners might have a right. Have you ever had that happen to you? Um, yeah, there's been a few races over in the Sacramento that have been heavy, heavy mud, uh, but to not to the gr- degree where, you know, I've, I've just gone through the field and, and ended up at the front of the race. Still, I think the, the top cyclists are still in front of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you have a particular pacing plan that you notice that you either your body naturally follows best or something that you actively try to follow in a race? Like, for example, um, are you the type of rider that looks to stay conservative and then push in the final half? Or are you the type of rider that looks to make aggressive moves and then, you know, settle in, but make those aggressive moves happen whenever they need to throughout the race? Yeah, I think, I think it's actually changed as I've gotten older. I think I used to be able to go harder earlier mm-hmm. and, and have it be on and off. But now I think I'm doing better at holding a higher wattage or a, a more level wattage, mm-hmm. you know, throughout the course of a race. Yeah, that's basically and, what Katarina said. So I think I, yeah. it's a product of aging. Right. Yeah. Especially mm-hmm. lately being in these really competitive races, it just, you know, it, I was <laughs> learned very quickly that, you know, my strength is not that on off. It's more of, um, doling out the the smoother watts throughout the full 45 or hour long race. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's common for all racers, but I think yeah. you do lose some snap or pop as you, as you get older. You do, yeah. It's funny, Chad and I have noticed uh, from talking to faster XC uh, or faster cyclocross racers that they're more stable than one might think in terms of their pacing. Very surprisingly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So that would make sense. Uh, I think we're probably ready to go to some questions that we've gotten. Um, the, the first one, which we've kind of covered more or less, but what does your in-season training schedule look like? This one's from, uh, forum.trainerroad.com, um, from Saganoki. It's probably Peter Sagan. He's asking you questions about your training. Um, so, uh, but yeah, does it change at all? Like when you're in season f- compared to preseason sort of stuff? No, I pretty much follow the trainer road plans. I mean, those are good man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you've kind of thought about the full calendar year, or, or maybe for some athletes that's multi years, you know, you're kind of figuring out what your goal is and then backing into the schedule. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's sort of plug and plug and play. Obviously, you know, things are probably going to go sideways now and again. So, <laughs> knowing how to adjust for illness or injury or unexpected travel or whatever it may be is. I think should always be planned or expected. And mm-hmm. if it doesn't happen, then, then so be it. But, um, you know, basically figuring out what your A races are, your B and C races are, and then back into the training program. Yeah. Uh, I think something I learned this year leading into cyclocross is that I might've started my training 
for cyclocross a little too far out because I feel like right now, maybe it's because of the challenges I've had in these these recent races, but my motivation has been waning, especially during some of these VO2 max workouts that I've been <laughs> yeah. doing lately, yeah. early in the morning. It's been really tough for me. And and I'll usually lower my uh, FTP to, to get through it. Yeah, kind of change the intensity. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's better than just calling it a day and, yeah. and not mm-hmm. doing the rest of the workout. Um, yeah. That's a risky run. I mean, we face that to a, a, a lesser extent, of course, but with the 40K TT challenge. I mean, we started training well in advance, but it made sense for our target date, but then that date shifted and we had to try to carry that motivation and that willingness to do the harder, shorter stuff, the stuff that really pulls on you for another six weeks. And it didn't go too well. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, you got fitter, we got slower. So went well <laughs> for all of us. <laughs> um, for uh, another question here is this one, I guess, has to do with hand ups. He's asking how many hand ups have you taken and still won. But wh- are you a hand up guy? Do you skip the hand ups uh, across the board? I don't usually have the energy to grab a hand up. I mean, if yeah. the race is either you're doing really well and you can afford to do a hand up, or you're in the back really and, poorly. Yeah, <laughs> maybe you need to have a beer or, yeah. uh, or a dollar bill in your uh, jersey. Uh, I'm not a I'm not a big hand up guy. I've got enough <laughs> troubles as it is <laughs> yeah. to be doing hand ups. I like the idea. I think it's fun. It's just uh, you know I'm I'm sort of once once I'm in that race mode, I'm usually pretty focused on on the task at hand. Understand? Yeah. Okay. Alex asks, what do you do? So a lot of cross races are on Sundays. So what do you do the day before on a Saturday if you're racing cross on Sunday? If I'm at the race, I'll probably be riding the race course, you know, pre-riding the course to get it dialed in. Uh, I would probably do some openers on the course to try to feel out what some of the more technical or more difficult parts of the course feel like at speed. I think that's something I've, I've had trouble with in the past is I've pre-ridden the course, course too slow. And mm-hmm. I get into the race situation. I'm like, I've never ridden this course. Mm-hmm. That turn is completely different than what it was or what it is now in, in the race situation. So uh, I think having a hot lap or or at least hot sections, you know, riding those at race pace, seeing what speed you can carry or how fast you can go through a sandy corner, something like that is, or going down to descent is pretty, pretty helpful. And then what if you're not at the race? Yeah, I'd probably just do something relatively easy, similar to what, you know, I would do on a course pre-ride. Uh, not, not so much that I think you need to go out and practice all your drills and skills, uh, but something relatively short with some race openers, either 30 to maybe a minute long. Mm -hmm. I think that's a little more personal and trial and error probably comes into play there with what your body seems to adapt to well. But I kind of like to go through those energy systems that are going to be turned on on race day and and just make sure they're turned on the day before. Yeah. Yeah. So fairly short efforts, fairly high intensity, but I like to build into them. I think sort of going into them cold can be sort of counterproductive. Yeah. Uh, Mark is pumped that we're talking to a master's athlete. Um, and what's your age again? 43. 43. So what is your average volume per week in terms of like time? Which we know time isn't the best, but this is the question. Um, How many hours per week? Do you think training you time, not, not time you can dedicate, but time you're actually on the bike. Well, I pull out a trainer road, uh, program for that. <laughs> uh, and then I would tack on, 
So uh, maybe a mid-volume cyclocross specialty plan is what I'm in right now. So maybe Jonathan or one of you could look that up and tell me how many hours that is. (laughs) And then I would tack on uh, for my lunch break rides, maybe an additional at most two hours Mm -hmm. and then an hour of strength training. And on the weekends, that might differ by an hour or two, depending on if I'm doing the trainer road program or if I'm going outside and maybe riding a little bit longer. So the total is about nine to 10 hours, adding that all up. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, around okay. there. Yeah, I would guess 10 to 12. 10 yeah. To 12. yeah, if you add in the gym work, it's 10 to 12. Yeah, yeah. is where you're getting into, uh, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That, that, and it's it's a lot to juggle uh, as, a, as a person that has a career and a family yeah. and everything oh, else. I could find much more time than that. So maybe no. I can ask you coaches, you know, given I've been having <laughs> some difficulty with some of these harder intensity workouts right now that I'm that I'm going through is is my best option maybe to make my easier days easy easier or or is there some other recommendation that I'm missing if in dialing down those those easier days brings the harder days back up to snuff, yeah, then yeah, okay. I, I, I'd go that route first, okay, for sure. Um, e- even omitting the easy days in, in lieu of full recovery. Okay. If, however, n- no matter what you do, those hard workouts just aren't meeting the you know the same standards that you're used to. Right. It's probably time to look look a little more closely at how much recovery you're getting. Maybe dial the workouts down, not necessarily the intensity of the workouts, maybe simply the quantity. Right. If you're doing a five by three VO2 max, maybe it becomes a four by three for a little while, longer rests. You can tweak those workouts, try to bring their productivity back up. But if you're still just not hitting the numbers, you just don't have it right now. You're just overreached, too I, overreached. The first setback, as Chad said, would be to, to do either easier, easy days or no easy days. Mm-hmm. And the second one, maybe look at the variance. And if you're doing like a, a two hour workout, do an hour 45 and see how your body has an hour the, 30. Yeah, exactly. Like, I mean, and then you're chop it max. way down. I, in fact, I'd rather see an athlete take a two hour workout, dial it way back down to an hour workout, nail that hour workout, try an hour and a half workout next time, and then gradually mm. work back up to where they were yeah. rather than just beat themselves up and, and trim an, a two hour workout to hour 45 so and chase fail it. at that and trim it to yeah. 130 and then fail at that. Mm-hmm. It's just a slow, painful decline. Mm-hmm. Okay. If I'm not able to make, let's say, a three minute uh, VO two max interval. And I have to back down my FTP. I I know I'm not going to make the rest of the intervals. Mm -hmm. Uh, and if I've had a series of those types of workouts recently, would it be better to start the next, uh, workout in that capacity? That's so fun. We have a feature coming out to help you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Which we will tell you all about after this podcast and people soon, but in most of those cases, if you've been making three minute intervals at that wattage, I'd keep the wattage the same. Don't, don't trim the intensity, but just doctor the the duration of the interval itself. Okay. Even if that means going an hour 30 or a minute 30 into that three minute interval, taking a 10 or 20 second back pedal and then finishing it out at the prescribed intensity. Basically you want to, you're chasing a particular oxygen uptake, particular heart rate. I mean, trying to get your system way up there and mm-hmm. keep it there. And rather than get away up there for two minutes and then fall apart for that final minute where you're not really getting the stimulus you're after, we do 90 seconds of quality, take a quick back pedal and then dive right back into it where everything's still elevated and you you manage to keep that quality high for the remainder of the interval. So overall you get more of that three minutes at a, at a high quality than you would if you just right. did that slow decay. Okay, I've done that a lot, <laughs> not a lot, <laughs> but it, it, it's amazing too where you get through the first set of maybe a three, four, five set workout. And you think there's no way I can finish this, but those back pedals, 
You I get go a through long it ways. A, a huge ways, yeah. yeah. And it you really still get help. a lot of... Uh, and they're super short. They don't make the interval easy either. Yeah. It's yeah. not like that 10-second yeah. backpedal revives you to the point where you're like, oh, I'm ready to get back after this. Yeah. No, you're still hurting, <laughs> the but now you can do it. Yeah, yeah, it makes it possible, right? Mentally, I think it's a little self-defeating. You know, it's hard when you start taking Absolutely. the intensity down. It's hard to... Yeah keep your motivation totally sure. and, uh, and if you're already having a hard time conjuring that motivation because of where right. you are in the season or maybe the last couple of races haven't gone so well then that's just uh, further another punch in the gut we're here to tell you it's okay justin <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks mike michael has a question he says what if any supplements protein or recovery shakes does justin use yeah, I'm I'm not partial to to one brand. I've I've tried most of the products out there. I think you you three have probably tried a lot more than I have. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> I'm not a big supplement guy. Yeah, at yeah, all. yeah, yeah. Well, when I, I I was just speaking mainly of having a protein drink after a yeah. hard workout. That's about the extent of my. What, which one do you have? And, and do you do it all the time or just whenever you have the chance? I think I bought a bag of Cytosport at Costco. I mean, I'm yeah, not, yeah. you know. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever's within reaching distance. Yeah. 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 Uh, I do like some of the scratch products. You know, I, I think their uh, composition sits well with my stomach. I think you, you guys have talked about that enough. I really like their fruit drops. I mean, those things mm -hmm. are like candy for me. Mm -hmm. um, scratch should pay us. <laughs> they, yeah. Let's give us free stuff. I know. Right? I could yeah. just eat those sitting at my desk. <laughs> I know. Let alone on the bikes. So. Right. They're delicious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but I don't do a lot of supplementing, you know. Yeah. So you get it from food or you don't get it at all? Yeah. 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 yeah that makes sense. Uh, Veronica asks, <laughs> I'm going to paraphrase your question. Do you have any um, insights on working more specifically on cornering skills in practice? Like, do you ever practice cornering? And then how do you go about doing that? I do. Uh, I, I think finding a, a way to, you know, find a turn that you can session or do over and over and over and do it a little faster each time. Uh, is, is really the best way. Mm -hmm. You know, I have a, a, a park near me that has a, a pretty steep decline, so I don't have to work to get up to speed. I'll use the decline for kind of getting me up to a faster speed. And learning to find out where your tires, you know, reach their capacity. I don't think it's so bad to crash every once in a while to figure out, okay, that's where – Mm -hmm. um, I'm turning too tightly or I'm not entering the turn correct and hitting that apex correct. I mean, if you need to get padded up and do it on grass so that you kind of learn where that extreme end of the, of the yeah. allowable speed is, the speed yeah, limit, if sense. you will, yeah. uh, is, is okay. And you sort of have to check your ego and, and <laughs> people are watching. So be it. I've crashed in plenty of pre-rides and, and even races. So um, but I think, I think finding a, a safe, comfortable place, maybe where nobody's watching and, and put some cones out or, yeah, that's probably a better idea than, than cornering around a tree or a, you know, a metal <laughs> post or something like yeah, that yeah. that doesn't move. Asphalt. I have <laughs> yeah. three points on that. All the high-level crossers we talk about have talked about crashing during like a pre-race, pre-riding yeah. because they're trying to find the limits. I would never do that. And <laughs> Veronica, she talks about it too. She feels like she doesn't commit to the to a corner and like lean the bike. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm I've been on and off the same way. And it's I think it's fear of crashing. Totally. Um, right. So that's a good tip of like grass and pads. Could I have one have more thing to that? Yeah. Uh, I think that it's a fear of crashing plus an, uh, uh, a lack of awareness as to where that limit actually is. 
right? So well, you never know because you don't want to crash. Well, and that's it though. You kind of have to crash to yeah. find that limit. Yeah. So yeah, and and I guess that what I'm doing is like you can know where those limits are and still have fear. Is the point, right? Sure. So that's okay. Um, and I should say that's to be expected. So like once you find the limits, it's not like it absolves you of fear. And right. the way you find the limits is by crashing um, or losing traction, I guess is the way, because you could right. save it. doesn't have to be a crash. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it's certainly, uh, it's certainly something you want to do. Something to add to that is it, that depends on the grass conditions that if you do that in the day before the race and you ride the course, chances are by the time you race on that course, especially if it's grass, it's going to be very different. Uh, if you change tires, if you change PSI, if you change wheels, uh, if you change your stack height in one way or another, all of those things change uh, how your bike is going to perform through a turn. So uh, it's important to get familiar with not just how to turn, but how to turn your bike on that turn in that specific condition. Uh, and if you can do that and you'll start to actually kind of get to the point where you, you kind of recalibrate, you don't have to rediscover everything from the beginning. You'll kind of know where your limits are roughly with your bike and your bike setup and, and your riding ability. And then you'll go, okay, looking at this scenario, I assume that it will be, I'll hit that point a little sooner or a little later. And yeah, it's not the end of the world. Thank goodness. That's the coolest thing about cross is you're riding in grass and many times it's not super high speed. Right. You can kind of my, figure it out. My four-year-old son is just now learning to ride a bike and he doesn't know where limits are and his, he will ride and his tires on asphalt literally sing. And I'm here like, oh, you're so close to crashing. You know, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. sing, sing. It's like he's scalloping. Yeah. Yeah. And he, he's crashed twice, but now he kind of, he kind of knows where that is. And when you're a kid crashing hurts way less than an adult. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but that's like, it's just this idea when, if you could remove the fear with pads and grass, mm -hmm. then it's no, then it's fun, right? Like, let's just find this. Right. Um, mm -hmm. I think a mud race too, in mud when you crash, it's like, doesn't hurt at all, right? Not usually. Yeah. It's, it's, Unless it's, there's a root or a rock. Yeah. Land on your chain ring or something. Yeah. And then it, it removes, for me, when I've, I've done a, only one or two mud races, but I crashed a ton and it removed that fear. And I actually did much better in that race because after a few times crashing, mm -hmm. I was like, oh, I can just try to, I can take this as fast as I can. I can slide. And yeah, yeah if I fall, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. I think understanding turning mechanics is probably good. So there's probably plenty of videos out there online. You could look to see how you're supposed to weight your pedals, you know, where you're supposed to be looking. I think your, your tires and wheels can handle a lot more than you give them credit for. Yes. I've had trouble with that in the past, yeah. you know, trusting my bike, trusting that I'm weighting things correctly mm -hmm. and, and letting go of your brakes. Mm -hmm. At some point you just got to let go and see what happens. Mm -hmm. And uh, a lot of us scrub speed too, yeah, too much or, or too much in the beginning of the turn and don't carry our speed out of the turn. So mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, that, that all takes practice. Uh, with mountain biking, we talked about this in the video that we did with uh, Lee McCormick on how to be a better mountain biker. Uh, we talked about get low, not back. And with cyclocross, it's absolutely the same thing when you're in those turns. Just remember that it's get that chest low to the bars. Uh, you're kind of doing a hip hinge, but you're seated, you know, mm -hmm. um, but you don't get back. Uh, and if you look at a lot of the crashes in cyclocross, you know, it's front end washouts. And if you've got your weight where it probably, where it should be, chances are that front end washout's not going to happen. You're going to start to feel your back end come out first. Mm -hmm. And it's super easy to save that. I was That's just going to say, it's a lot easier to save a rear wash the front. than the front. That's yeah. almost, so, I, if my wa if my rear end washes out a little bit, I'm like proud of it. I'm like, you're I, doing it. Okay. I just found it. Yep. I found it. Yes. Yeah. 
yeah, guys. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's all about low with that chest and head. You know, getting getting close to that stem with that chest. You know, keeping it really low. And I've found that that's like that's my mantra when I'm going through on cross and, and turns. It's just yeah. low, not back. Low, not back, and it always helps. So Veronica asks a, a question. Um, she says. It's not for you, Justin, but I think I can answer it quickly. Is my FTP lower on my cyclocross bike versus my road bike, or how likely is that? And mm. they're set up so similar. It's probably not Hopefully likely. Hopefully they are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's probably not likely, but we've seen normalized power. And Justin, you probably have seen this too. Normalized power on a cross race is much lower mm. than in a road race. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, like we saw. Oh, it's crazy. Like an, an hour long. Discouragingly low numbers. Yeah. yeah. For same perceived effort, you know, it'll go from 290 Watts normalized for an hour to 210. And it's right. like, what happened here? Yeah. You know, a crit would be, you feel smashed really high. Yeah. Yeah. And then, a and then a cross race would be like, yeah, 50 Watts lower. Yeah. And you think the more you're off the bike, the, the worse that gets too. Yeah. Yeah. And it's different of, uh, I think the type of course too, mm-hmm. if it's more of a power course, it can be higher up there. Yeah. But if it's like a lot of turns, I found that it's, it's a lot, lot lower. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, one quick thing I want to clarify or correct on my end was, uh, hopefully they're set up similar between the road bike and the cross bike. There should be some differences too. They don't, they yeah. shouldn't be exactly, but the same. I mean, it's pretty close. Yeah. It shouldn't affect your power. It's output. not like a TT bike. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 I was, I, I've been surprised lately looking at my TSS from my cross races, how low it is. Mm-hmm. And I'm, shot you know i'm, I'm completely <laughs> throttled yeah. yeah and i look at my cam- my trainer road calendar and i'm supposed to do a hard workout the next day and i'm like that's not mm. even possible i just need to yeah. go out and spin my legs out so i don't know some of the numbers are a little bit deceiving relative to what the mm-hmm. what the numbers say yeah that's like one of the things that like on the new calendar feature that I love so much is that I can, you know, you can shift around the workouts independently, but mm-hmm. then I can always say like, if you know that on this training plan, you're going to be racing cross and you're doing that specialty plan and you know that you're going to race on Sundays, you can always take, make sure Mondays are off, you know? Right. And I, yeah, we, we've like with mountain biking too, we've talked about this. It'd be so great if there was a way to actually quantify the true stress that you get. I mean, power meter is the best we have, right? right. It's great. Um, but you have like so much fatigue on your body from these events where it's like cross or something like that, you know, we can get close, but it doesn't perfectly represent it. I I think there's something for the mental aspect of it too, getting ramped up for a race on a, on a Saturday, let's say, and then you think you're going to come back and do a two hour, you know, lower intensity trainer road workout. I did that after, I think you and I did that race here locally instead. Mm -hmm. And I could not get through that two hour workout the next day. Rightfully so. I kind of stepped back and said, should you be able to get through that (laughs) day after racing? You know, it's the racing from the, you know, physical perspective, the mental perspective, the warm up, the cool down, the, everything that goes into getting ready to race. Plus everything else you had to do after that that day. Right. I like the idea mentally of the the, the ramp up and then almost like the letdown is after the race, the last thing I want to do is race again, like, yeah, or yeah. do a really hard effort. It, mm. it feels so much better. And I do this a lot in my training where after a hard day, I'll have like an aerobic, like Baxter, people have seen me do it. And then a day off. If it's hard for me to go hard, 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 or hard, easy, hard. I like for me mentally three day, a three day block. I come back into that hard workout. Like I'm ready again. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a hard, think, easy off. Is what you're describing? Yeah, hard, yeah. easy, off, hard, easy, off. And you get less stress, but I think I can be more consistent. Yeah. This and I can is, hit the harder ones harder. I like a lot about that, actually. Yeah. This is something that's pretty hard to measure here, but it's an interesting point that you brought up, and it's something that I've recognized that I need to do a better job of after races is to actually force myself to wind down mentally. 
and to like, I, I'm, I'm really good at being a pretty harsh critic after these races and I hold on to it too long. Right. right. Like, uh, Jonathan's com- he seems like a nice guy and he is, but there's a different Jonathan. There's a Jekyll uh, <laughs> Flips a switch. For, for racing. Yeah. yeah. Things get serious. So like, but, uh, and I'm, I, I dwell a little too long on it and I just think like, even just in my body chemically, I'm just carrying a lot of stress and internal fight right. for a long time after a race like that. And I think it's important even, even after wins, right? Like it's the same thing, you know, I'm, I'm always looking at what I need to do better. And that's a great thing to do. Like we should analyze for sure. We should be critical about our race performances, win or lose, but, uh, we should also be very efficient at being able to stop that once it's become, you know, run its course of productivity and then allow our bodies to recover. Cause like you said, just the stress side of things. Yeah especially with the family, you know, like with mothers that are racing, like I always admire that when like, they're like taking care of kids, they race and they get right back and it's straight back to taking care of the kids again. Like that's really, really hard. Like you don't get a whole lot of time to decompress. So parenting is hard. Yeah, it's work. <laughs> it is. So it's, uh, I think there's a, that's a really good point is to make sure that you're, you're considering that aspect of it, not just the, the physical stress on the legs, you know, yeah, uh, be, be analytical without being too critical mm-hmm. pro marriage tip to what Jonathan just said is you can get in a fight with your spouse and, uh, that's not the tip though. You right? can be, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but afterwards you can feel this happens all the time. You yeah. can feel like, okay, I'm, it's okay but you can still feel ramped up because it's actually in your blood and it takes oh, yeah. biologically, it takes time to clear that like fight feeling inside oh, yeah. of you. And, uh, when you race, that is alive and well, exactly. But I mean, people, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, you think you're okay, but it doesn't seem like you're okay. And it's just like biologically, like mentally you could be fine, but you just have to have a little bit of time to like get that. Your body has yeah. to process. Your body's still stuff. in a state of threat or being threatened. Yeah. Fight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 It's tricky stuff. This has been an awesome conversation. I feel like, <laughs> and judging from people's comments, uh, they, they, they found it relatable and, and something that was actually, you know, like, uh, it's good to just have uh, Justin, it's hard to call you an average person, perhaps average circumstances, but you're doing far above mm-hmm. average things. Uh, but it's good to have that sort of scenario. Um, I think we can all learn from each other. Hence why forum.trainerroad uh, forum.trainerroad.com exists. And the whole thing that we have with this podcast is the whole point of it. So we really appreciate you coming on. I, yes. it's, it's fun because you're a, a close friend of ours and, and you're a person I've raced with plenty of times and, and you're, you're a great person to race with, but I feel like a lot of people have been able to learn from you today. So thanks for, thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks uh, Justin. Thanks for ha- having me. I hope all the age groupers out there, you know, get something out of this, you know, regardless of what level you're at, you know, Trainer Road does a great job of giving you some structure and outline to to get fit. So Justin can be next week <laughs> and every week. Hey, Justin, by the way, what do you do? You own a bit. We didn't talk about you own. A we business? didn't even talk about the career part. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you yeah, own your own I'm, business. I'm a part owner of a wealth advisory company. We have uh, six offices in five states. Now oh. we're kind of in the. So if they Inner Mountain to, West is what we call it, but uh, yeah, I, I manage our local Reno Tahoe office. And if someone would like to. Work with someone who's as dedicated as you. What's the company called? TCIWealth.com. Cool. TCI awesome. stands for, I mean, loosely we say the conservative investor. Yeah. TCIWealth.com. But it, w- thanks for mentioning that. Uh, <laughs> obviously, I wasn't expecting that. But, you know, and what I do with clients every day is very similar to what Trainer Road does for its mm. clients and athletes. It's, it's really just the same exact process. Instead of thinking about, months or years, I think about decades on that, on that side of things. So, but very much figuring out what your goals are backing into a, a a plan and then, you know, baby steps every day. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Good stuff. 
Awesome. Thanks again, Justin. Good luck this season. Thanks everybody Welcome. else for tuning in uh, to this. We appreciate it. Uh, you can catch us live next week. That'll be Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific. We'll be answering more of your questions, getting back to that after all of these awesome uh, user interviews. And if you have any questions about this podcast, you can go to forum.trainerroad.com. There's actually a dedicated post specifically to this podcast episode. Producer Nick, our stand-in. Thank you, Nick. You've been doing a great job of updating all the information in there. And uh, so you can go in there and see links to what we've talked about and everything else. If you're curious about what we're doing here at Trainer Road, you can go to trainerroad.com. Got lots of new stuff coming out as well. Thanks everybody. Talk soon. Thanks everybody. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.